When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Recorded live. Black Pablo, BB48, my whole chuck. Welcome to Street on the Ground Radio. This is your brother Born. Uh, we got a Sunday special. Um, we like to come in with the praise to the ancestors. Praise Nat Turner. Glory to God. We long let the spirit of the Khalid Abdul Muhammad. Praise Harriet Tubman. Glory to Ida B. Wells. Long let the spirit of Sister Fanny Lou Hamer. Uh, we got set by Power Family tonight. We, uh, but it's this uh, evening right here, late afternoon, early evening, we have a special. We have the uh, Baba Attorney at War, Automatics, coming in to give us uh, just a, a little information on Labor Day reparations, where we should be headed to in this time, you know, just uh, making sure that we get some of these philosophies and opinions, some well-needed thoughts for this time. I'm going to check my lines to see if the Baba is out there already. Uh, BB48, uh, Black Power Problematics. Uh, Problematics, is this you out there? No, all right. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for him to come in. Who is this out here in New York? This is Brother Peavy right here, 516 number. He's, All right. he, he's got a 917 number. Okay, I'll be, I'll be looking for him to come, uh, to come in. I'm going to mute the line, though, and then I'll open you back up in a little bit. Sounds good. Uh, well, you know what? Uh, as y'all coming on in, what I will do, though, is I'll have Brother TV uh, just give a little background on things that's going on in the UAM, things that y'all can get involved in. Uh, if you're in New York, how you can get involved with the uh, with the store that they have and, you know, just a couple other things. But uh, let me check this line right here. Let me see if this is, uh, if this is uh, the elder. Black Power. Brother, uh, is this uh, Brother uh, Automatics? Uh, all right, is this Brother Automatics? New York so, City. Oh, this, okay. This is not Brother Maddox, just a listener from the United African Movement. Uh, all right, then. All right, we're waiting for, well, we're waiting for the brother to uh, come on in, and I'm going to have Brother TV come in for a moment and just give a, a little bit of background on some of the things that the United African Movement got going on. All right. Thirty-seven. All right, brother PB, come uh, come on in and just give a little uh, a little bit of things that's going on with the UAM. Uh, if you want to, you can give a little history, but this is some of the uh, up-to-date things and things that people can get involved with. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. This is brother PB here. Thank you a lot, Mr. Uh, brother Bourne. 
Um, I'm just excited waiting on uh, uh, Baba Maddox and stuff. You know, uh, his last four numbers is 36-37. And uh, I realize that he will uh, be talking about the upcoming election and also Labor Day and the father of Labor Day. And we should be looking at Labor Day as labor and reparations for the black man because Maddox is going to explain all this to you. And uh, one other important event is right? come, come Monday, we want as many people as possible to carry all the flags of the African countries and the Caribbean countries down Eastern Parkway. There will be over a million people on that parkway, one of the, one of the largest spectacles in the country will take place on this on this Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Parkway in Brooklyn, New York. I'm sure that he should be arriving along now because he knew he was supposed to call at 5 p.m. So let me get out of the way and stuff, right? Because like I said, born, I, I can't even even think about William's history. I'm so so excited about listening to Alton today and stuff. You know, Brother Stevie, hold on one moment. I'm gonna check these the, uh, two New York callers right here and see if this is uh, okay. Wait. New York City, New York. Um, is this Buck yes. Maddox? Yes, it is. Uh, all right, all right. Well, uh, Black Power, uh, early evening. Black Power, back to you, brother. All yes. right, same here. Yes, sir. Well, um, you know, as, as we were speaking to the family earlier, uh, letting them know we got a Sunday special today. We're going to get a little conversation with, with the elder on uh, Labor Day and reparations and um you know the the time at hand and what should be done. So you know, um, basically that's what that's what we're going to get into. I'm going to step off the floor. I'm going to let um, Baba Maddox get into the diatribe that he wants to go into. And with his permission, um, we'll go to the we'll go to the line, bring some callers in, and get some and you know get some questions uh, for um, Baba Maddox. But from that point, you know, I'm going to open up the floor and just welcome the the brother to the line. Uh, elder, esteemed elder, and our attorney at war, Baba Alton Maddox. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm very happy uh, to be here uh, on this uh, pre-holiday uh, uh, weekend. Uh, I, I've always said that there was just something funny about the way that we really re- gave honor on Labor Day, and uh, I hope this year... Uh, we can open up a new dialogue on uh, what Labor Day really means uh, to descendants of enslaved Africans. Uh, and that is important because uh, this country now is talking about a nation of immigrants. Uh, and therefore, uh, it places us outside of the loop uh, because we were not in any way uh, brought over here as immigrants. Uh, Immigrants are people who uh, look for a permanent residence in another land, and that was not us. Uh, And so the idea that we can sit passively by and let people say this is a nation of immigrants and we don't have anything to say about it uh, is very criminal and it dictates a a lack of history. Uh, The reality of it is, is that we were this nation's first laborers. And so we built the country, and the immigrants 
uh, essentially came here after the Civil War. Uh, there were some pockets of immigrants being here before the Civil War, like in New York City. Uh, but the reality of it is most immigrants came here after the Civil War and after we had built this country, uh, a country that we gave our labor to without any compensation. And so on this uh, pre-Labor Day weekend, uh, our rallying cry should be a demand for reparations, and it should continue to be that demand until such time as we are compensated. This is not a time for us to have a, quote, picnic and a parade, close quote. Uh, this is a time for America to pay up, uh, do, give us our just due, and to be just before it decides to be generous before, to any other groups that come to this land. Yes, sir. You know, we're, that's a that's a thing that we always have here is that we we we're too far into this war to be partying right now. We ain't we ain't seen the right victory for us to really be out partying and, and wanting to cook out and, and uh, you know slap fives with each other on every day that the, that Caucasians bring up. But as you said on this Labor Day, it should have us bring a focus back to the labor that we've given to this country for free and not being. Uh, justly compensated. No, and I think that is absolutely correct. And uh, I think that uh, what you will find out that not only were we the first laborers, uh, but that uh, subsequently uh, the person who became the uh, father of Labor Day in Ohio is actually the father of Labor Day nationwide. Uh, there was no federal legislation uh, calling for a Labor Day to be recognized as such until after uh, uh, John T. Green, uh, who was in the Ohio Assembly, uh, introduced that legislation and uh, really put made the ball roll. Now, uh, the interesting thing is that uh, implicitly uh, the Irish really are, are, are enjoying credit uh, for something that we did, and that's the reason why many of them are, are in these labor unions because people uh, are recognizing them uh, as bringing forth uh, labor when it in fact were us. And we have to get our just dues. You know, this is a uh, a, uh, a nation in which uh, President Calvin Coolidge said uh, the business of America is business, and. The meaning of that is that uh, business is based on debits and credits, and people who have no debits uh, have no real standing in this country. People who have credits do have standing in this country, uh, and we cannot afford to allow other people to take our credits. Uh, much of the inventions that were made in this country before the Civil War were made by our people. Uh, it arose because there was a need uh, to invent things, and we brought forth those inventions, and we have not even been compensated uh, for our patents and our intellectual property that we brought to this country. So, you know, we're not only talking about labor, but we're talking about all the other contributions. And now you have groups who are coming here and act like, you know, we are really uh, don't belong 
uh, and we're getting no respect. But the reason why we're getting no respect because we're not demanding any respect, and we're not demanding that the true history of this country uh, be outlined. And uh, as I said so many times, and this is what you call a constructive partnership in the same way that legally we talk about a constructive eviction. Uh, a constructive partnership is that uh, the Africans supplied the labor, the, the Indians supplied the land, and the Europeans supplied the capital. And uh, now we see a situation where both the Africans and the Indians are being annihilated, and uh, the people who had nothing to do with the hard labor, had nothing to do with the land, are now retaking their bowels, and this is absolutely wrong. And this is one of the initial wars that we have to face, and I hope that on Labor Day uh, tomorrow uh, we make our position very clear in any way that we can uh, to let other people know uh, that we are the original partners in this country, and we need to start acting like partners and, and instead of acting like slaves or some subservient uh, a person, uh, you know, at this time is right for us to control our share of America, and we must take it by any means necessary. I'll say on that, any means or every means, however, however we can get it, we definitely have to um, make sure that we move forward on that agreement for holding it. I've really seen that one of the one of the main things that has, has been a little bit younger. One of the things that I'm that I'm seeing that a lot of our people we are are so ill informed. You know what I mean? We're so ill informed that we don't even make a connection with the reasons why we should. What is the reason why we should receive reparations? And you know, I don't look at this. And, and me personally, I don't look at reparations as something that we should. You know, this is something we're begging white people to help us out, but we know and understand that we are owed a debt, and so a debt has to be paid, and we either going to take the, the debt got to come out your pocket or your ass. One or the other is how the youth is looking at this situation nowadays because we're getting to that point where, where, where it's just like a street thing. When you're on the street, when somebody owes you and they owe you for so long, you're looking for that debt to be repaid, and you only have two options. Either that person is going, you're going to have to take it out of their pocket, or you're going to have to take it out of their behind. And the youth are coming to the point where we're like, yo, listen, I think that I think that they want us to take it out their ass. And well, how, go ahead, bro. I think that 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 is a uh, correct interpretation. Uh, the reality of it is, is that for too long. Uh, we have gone along, got involved in all kinds of different kinds of movements uh, in order to obtain some rights, and we're still struggling. Now we're looking at a situation where those few, few uh, rights that we thought we had now are going by the wayside. And uh, so we have to really, at this point, uh, dig in where we are and, uh, and, 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 and let the other side know one way or the other it's going to happen. And I think there are Negroes among us who think that their right to receive reparations is an option. It is not an option. It is a right. And so if you don't want your part of reparations, you give your part to somebody else. But it is a right. 
And the basic premise in all of this uh, comes out of equity, uh, which really came from uh, ancient Egypt, uh, which has now been uh, incorporated uh, selectively uh, in American jurisprudence, is that you must be just before you're generous. And, uh, you know, when you're involved with uh, uh, wills and trusts or anything like that, uh, and you receive uh, your share uh, of an estate, uh, before you get your share from the uh, uh, testator, uh, the law intercedes and says, you, well, you got to be just first, and you got to pay your dues. Well, that's the same th- rule we want to enforce with respect to our labor. We want that uh, to happen first. You can't have selective amnesia or selective uh, enforcement of the law. It has to be across the board, and it has to be even. And that's what we're fighting for. We're not fighting for white folks or anybody else. We're fighting for a principle. And that's what I think our people got to understand. It's not a matter of whether you like white people or you hate white people. Uh, it's a matter of what is right. And this is what is right, and that's what you should always be giving your life for, that which is right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I don't have no, you know, there's nothing that I can say against against that right here. And I, as you said about the amnesia, that's one of the things, you know, on on a regular basis, we strive to get it to, um, and I believe it was Dr. John Henry Clark, where I might have heard, first heard it from, is how we suffer as a people from historical amnesia. We just mm-hmm. constantly want, and, and, and we constantly want to forget what's going on. You know, they put us in a situation where we want to forget what's happening, so then that way they don't put no onus on you to go and seek that justice which is which is owed you. You know, when you when you uh, stay in that mind state, you you can't have a way to go seek any type of reparations because you you don't even believe that reparations. You say you don't even believe reparations belong to you. You're not looking for it. Well, and and I think you're absolutely right. You see, this is what we have to go back to: is this before we can ever be made whole as a people, uh, we're going to have to obviously uh, correct some of the uh, deficiencies and misinformation that we have been given. But on the other hand, uh, you know, there are times when uh, just uh, self-correction is not uh, sufficient. Uh, There's a need also uh, for somebody to uh, repay uh, what they owe you. You know, you just can't uh, automatically... Uh, become whole uh, in that process. And I think that uh, what we have to realize is that we are talking about uh, two things that I think black people have not really confronted. And one is reputation evidence, and the other one is habit evidence. And uh, those are two matters that really affect our lives. Now, when you talk about reputation, you're talking about how the world see both you and me. That's what you're talking about, you know, and when I walk in a place and you walk in a place and ten other people that look like us walk in a place, the one thing we have in common is that the world is looking at a bad reputation because that's one been one of the byproducts of slavery, and it has been that way because in the U.S. Constitution we were constitutionally defamed. You know, so we lost our reputation, and the world uh, went out and uh, told other people in other countries 
that we were worthless, and was certainly no more than three fifths uh, of, of a person. So uh, we now are in a situation where we have to uh, do what we have to do to construct to uh, deal with that in terms of our reputation and in terms of uh, our habits. We have bad habits, but those habits were talked to us talked to us by the slave master. You know, uh, we had the book, The Miseducation of the Negro, uh, but uh, the problem with The, the Miseducation of the Negro is that Carter G. Wilson only wrote that book in 1930. That's when it was published. Now, uh, which meant that it does not go back 400 years of our enslavement. So really, uh, we can't say that we were miseducated in schools. We were miseducated on the plantations. Mm-hmm. And those habits that we have developed on the plantation are now being kept alive uh, by us carrying it from one generation to the other. Mm-hmm. I say, a, a, you know, that's a, a very interesting statement about the bad habits. And uh, one of the things that, as we speak on Labor Day, you know, I think that that's one of the things that we've gotten into, the bad habit of celebrating what white folks mm-hmm. think is celebratory. You know, uh, what we call it nowadays is crackatosis. Anything the whites give us is right. So we just go ahead and, and, and lean into it as uh, we participate as though we are uh, American. We partic- You know, we participate as though we, you know, we are of the red, white, and blue flag, and that's how, and, you know, and that it represents us, and we participate in all these things. And uh, I think that that's one of the, uh, the um, main cruxes that we're having is our nature to to go along with anything that the Caucasian has put out as celebratory. Well, uh, that's I, true. Oh, go ahead. I mean, ahead, no, that, that is true. And, you know, the thing that we have to look at, you know, and I really uh, go back to a case that I always quote because when I went to law school uh, and after I was introduced to uh, Dred Scott, which was very early in my uh, law school career because I started law school at the University of Georgia, and uh, they were still enforcing the slave codes down there. And so, uh, obviously, uh, I heard about Dred Scott much earlier than a lot of people did uh, who may have gone to some of these other law schools like Harvard and Yale uh, and Pennsylvania, Columbia, and and those other prestigious schools. And so, you know, uh, with me, uh, Dred Scott became a way of life. And after I studied it, uh, I realized after reading Dred Scott uh, that I needed not to study any other legal principles because Dred Scott was it. It said everything that I needed to know. Uh, so I just got ready to prepare for the law school uh, uh, exams and to prepare for the bar exam uh, because uh, I already knew what my place was in America. And that is, I had no rights that a white man was bound to respect. Uh, and, and that seemed to fit quite well, and it seems to uh, apply to this very day. Uh, so it has not died, and, and white folk have not changed their habits because they are still enforcing the same law uh, that they enforced against our ancestors uh, back in 1857 and before. And so, uh, you know, when you're dealing with uh, habit evidence, uh, and you're dealing with reputation evidence, those are the two things that really sent us to prison more so than anything else because 
as I've said, and 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 and, and, and many, anybody who's ever seen me try a case uh, can tell you, is that I will never let a black person take the witness stand. And the reason why I would never let a black person take the witness stand is because black people have bad reputations. So uh, what you're doing is convicting yourself uh, by taking the witness stand because then the jury knows that you are a person of a bad reputation and everything that you say cannot be believed. That's the reason why we have so many blacks uh, uh, going to prison today because the lawyers do not know uh, how to represent uh, black people and they mistake the idea of you taking the witness stand and clearing yourself when the you, only thing you're doing by taking the witness stand is convicting yourself. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, when, when I was when I was out there, I, I said I want I, I want these cases. I mean, I, I was not somebody who was just playing around. I was winning cases one by one. And uh, the one thing I would tell any client that I represent uh, is that one, uh, you will never take the witness stand. Uh, two. I will never ask you what happened. And three, you will never plead guilty. And with that, you got an excellent chance of being acquitted. Now, if you decide you want to do one of those three things, you're definitely going to prison. Yeah, well, that's something for us to take into account right there for our family out there to take that into account. That is three things that uh, when you're dealing with a lawyer, if you end up inside of any legal matter, one, you don't take the don't take the stand. You don't need to know uh, what's happening. I don't. I don't need. I don't need to know from you what happened. I don't ever ask a client what happened because I I I know I have enough other resources to find out from some other people what happened. So you don't have to ever worry about me. Uh, you know, talking, telling your story to somebody else or working with the DA. I don't have nothing to work with because I didn't ask you anything. So you could never ask me. You could never say, "Well, I believe uh, Mr. Mack was cooperating with the uh, other side." Well, why was I cooperating? I didn't know what you did. I, I made up my own situation. What you did, I wasn't operating on what you said. Yo, but about that, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm thinking about what you said, and um, I, I had uh, entered into college and in a in effort and seriously at at first thought to become a lawyer, and the thing that you're saying is very, that is very crucial to defending a client. If you want to defend them to your best ability, it is to not know what that client has done. I know you don't need that story. All you need to do is, is shake this in a mannerism for them to get off, because that's what's going on. That's right, and, that, and that's exactly how you have to uh, deal with it. Uh, I don't need your story at all. You know, people was talking... I represented Tawana Brawley, and back then, uh, after Tawana had been raped uh, by white men, uh, Negroes started saying, well, you need to t- let the white man know what happened. I said, I'm not, I don't know what, what uh, happened from Tawana because I never asked Tawana what happened. So I, why, why would I be asking her to, to testify when I never even asked her what happened? I mean, just like anybody else, a black woman come in, into uh, 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 my office and say I've been raped by a white man. I don't need to ask her what happened, or why it happened, or when it happened, uh, because I can go back to history and know all of that. Mhm. Mhm. We can find yeah, yeah. Now, definitely, definitely, that's that's 
that song that's key is something I, I never really thought about, but right now, just thinking about that, that's something that I think that a lot of our people need to keep in mind about what's going on in, in order to help them have a better play, especially not testifying against yourself or right. getting, getting on that stand. Because I, I didn't, I know that I know that we're looked at in a certain light, but when you just mentioned how we're uh, we're just not credible. And period. That's just it is what it is. So that means everything that you say, you know, you you're absolutely right. Everything that you say is going to be misconstrued and used against you. Period. Because you're you black. Absolutely. And, and when you don't say nothing, it can't be used against you because you ain't said nothing. You know. And when you and when you decide to say something, then it's going to be used against you. So the best thing you do is sit there and be quiet and don't say nothing. Mhm. <laughs> I remember you telling me about the uh, one client that you had to put on the stand and how he jumped on the on the attorney. You yeah, Daryl Sawyer. I mean, you know, that was one of the most, uh, and I and that was one of the reasons why you should take the witness stand because you see, Daryl Sawyer was with three other uh, young men, and uh, one of the young men was in on the elevator when an, an elderly Italian woman got on the elevator. And uh, and and so this young man pulled out his gun and told give him her money, and uh, it, it, I reckon he was uh, uh, impatient. I don't know what his plans were, but he hauled off and, and blew her brains out. And so uh, in that particular case, uh, all four of these young men uh, were uh, charged. And uh, I mean, I don't want I'll make a long story short, but you know. In that case, uh, like in many cases I tried, uh, it was good for you to have a little uh, Muhammad Ali or Jack Johnson in you. You know what I mean? Uh, because those cases can get very sticky. Uh, mm-hmm. See, a lot of people don't know that when you practice law, that's not an easy profession. You know, and in addition to your having great legal skills, uh, you better have some boxing skills also uh, and some shooting skills and whatever other kind of skills. It's going to take you to save your life because these people are not serious. And so, uh, you know, I had no other choice in Daryl Sawyer's case but to tell him that you got to take the witness stand. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the law requires that in order for you to beat this case, you're going to have to uh, tell the jury uh, that you had no idea that anybody on the elevator had a gun, you know, and so uh, you didn't know somebody was going to pull out a weapon and, and blow the woman's brains out. And so I had no choice to do that. And when I put him on the witness stand, uh, you know, I told him, I said, look, Daryl, you got to be like a little quiet boy now. I mean, you know, whatever else uh, it looks like, the jury got to get the idea that you are not the kind of person that would do something like this. And, uh, you know, Daryl took the witness stand on direct examination by me. He did a great job. When the cross-examination came, and uh, the prosecutor got up, and the prosecutor really didn't know what he was doing, but he hit a, a raw nerve uh, when he asked uh, Daryl Sawyer uh, whether he had any heart or not. Now, Daryl defined heart, the word heart, differently than the prosecutor did. And so, you know, uh, when the prosecutor started grinning and, and smiling, to the jury and telling Daryl, you don't have any heart. Well, Daryl thought he was saying that you are a punk. You're not uh, 
uh, worthy of uh, uh, fighting anybody. You know, you do things uh, in a way uh, as you did. And that's not what he was saying at all. What he was trying to say was to Daryl, you're not a good guy. But because Daryl saw the prosecutor uh, call him out as a chump, uh, you know, it was like being on the street uh, and a group of people out there and you and somebody else out there and, and you think that the person is dissing you and, you know, you may decide to pull out your gun and shoot him, you know. And that's what Daryl saw. Uh, and a result of that, uh, you know, uh, when he did that, Daryl just leaped from the witness stand. The jury was sitting right there. Uh, he leaped from the witness stand into the prosecutor's chest and beat the daylights out of him. And so, you know, that, that, those are the kind of dangerous signs uh, exist when uh, you put a black person on the witness stand because you and the prosecutor are talking two different languages. You know, mm-hmm. and that's a real problem. You can't get that reconciled, and that can cause you, you know, some long time in prison. Uh, which is what it did to Daryl Sawyer. But, you know, as I said before, we had no other choice but to put him on the stand. But once he got on the stand, he and the prosecutor were talking two different languages. And that's the problem in, in this country today. Uh, we're speaking one language and white folks are speaking another. And we don't clearly understand each other. The best thing to do is just stay on the witness stand in the first place. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. Um, Brother Alex, I, I, I got a question about when you when you speak on reparations, I have a question about reparations, and, and when you speak to that, um, is that something that we should look to as a monetary reparations? Should it be something that we should look at as something where we should be receiving land? Because I obviously don't think that they'll give us any anything asking them. I think it's going to be more of a we have to make a declaration this is how I, I'm going to tell you, this is how I look at it, the asking for reparations or the making the demands for reparations. It's more of a demand being made to put into the minds of our people as Africans that there is a debt that is owed to us by these people, that we need to make a, a firm declaration on the fact that they owe us a debt. So anytime we're dealing with them, we deal with them as uh, a oppressor who owes a debt. You understand what I'm saying? And, and yeah. in that way, you start taking it. Any chance that you get, you get it, and you take it every chance that you get. But I think that without that mindset, that's why a lot of times we'll be in situations where we have the opportunity to recoup something from the crackers, recoup something from that beast, but we don't recoup it because we don't even have in our mind that, that ideology that they owe us something, and that's what how I, and that's how I personally look at the call for or the, the speaking to our people on the demand for reparations. Well, I think no, I think it's, a, it's an excellent question, and I think that it can be uh, answered uh, in, in a very simple way. I mean, the reality of it is, is that reparations is like anything else. Uh, you know, the, the first thing when you go into a lawsuit. You know, you uh, anticipate that your lawyers, and you have trust in your lawyers, uh, that they will get whatever is out there to be gotten. Uh, so, you know, same thing with uh, reparations. You know, it depends, first of all, who is actually negotiating on, on your behalf. But given that, I think the other thing to realize is that there as you indicated, uh, various ways in which to, uh, to pay a debt or repay a debt. Uh, you know, one is, I think, in terms of land, 
uh, if you check the uh, National Registry, uh, you'll find that there's still millions of land that is owned by this country. Uh, and so, and some of those lands that are owned by this country have a lot of wealth on those lands. You know, so, you know, when, when you start talking about repayment of a debt, you know, I think the first thing you have to do is for both sides to come clean, and particularly white men to come clean and say, well, look, this is what's available. I mean, you know, we got uh, millions of uh, acres of land. Uh, we have a lot of oil out here. You know, we have all these uh, minerals and all these things that are there. And it just becomes a matter of people negotiating. But that's no different than what lawyers do every day. You know, so, I mean, it's no real complication to resolving the problem because once people say that this is what we want, you know, then, you know, uh, that's what you're going to go in there and get. So you know, I, I don't see I, I don't see how we resolve the debt as being a difficult problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess you know, the main problem is just us having the resolve to say that somebody owes us the debt and that we want our payment. There you go. I mean, the, the, and that's really what it boils down to is to have the resolve and to recognize that, that there is a debt, uh, and then you know it's like anything else, and once you uh, demonstrate that there is a debt, and I think anybody who's aware of history uh, have to concede that that there is a debt. You know, then it just becomes a matter of how do you satisfy that debt. And I'm here to say uh, that there's a lot of that there's a, a lot of wealth to be owed because you know even before you get down to white people saying, "Well, I didn't enslave you," you know, somebody else did, or my great 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 granddaddy did, and he's dead. You know, why come after me? Well, first of all, let's go after the United States because none of y'all could have happened. None of this could have happened if this country wasn't an accomplice to what did happen. So let's get first of all, let's get that resolved. How much can we get out of the United States, and then we'll go from there. Uh, but we shouldn't get caught up in somebody saying that. Well, you know, um, it was my great granddaddy that did it, or my great-great-great-great-grandmother did it. That's not the issue. The issue is starting from the top. None of this would have happened if this country has not given the legal uh, shelter to allow slavery to exist. And so, therefore, you start with this country, and in tort law, and most people know this, you start with the deep pockets. I mean, that's a, that's a, that, that's who, that's a, who lawyers go after. They go after deep pockets. Who have the deep pockets? So you know who becomes uh, the person that's responsible is very simple because the person that's responsible for all of this is the person who has the deepest pockets, and we can easily identify who that is. And so you know, I I, I really cannot see any of this being difficult. Once we recognize and resolve that a debt exists and that it must be paid, I really can't see any other problems. Mhm. Well, I definitely thank you for for coming on just just to get in uh, get into the fact of um, of us understanding of us understanding that we have to have the ideology that we need to be repaid. We have to we have to straighten that out. And I and and I fully believe that once we straighten out in our mind, because me myself personally, I've started to take that into my own account that I'm old. So anytime that I'm dealing with the Caucasian, I'm always dealing with him in the in the uh, in the mode of you owe me. So I'm here to only get 
what you owe. So well, and I, no, no, I think that that is correct, and I think that what happens is is that at some point, you know, we need to have a national political convention uh, where everybody's ideas are, are represented. And then after that, the ideas are represented. We must to come to an understanding uh, that a line must be drawn in the sand and that a debt exists and it has to be resolved. And that, you know, our thing to, to this country is to say, look, one way or the other, you know, we're not going to continue this. Uh, you got a, a deadline here, and you must uh, address this deadline because we're not going to keep paying taxes. And uh, and going to the army and all these other things that you got us doing, uh, and we don't have uh, no rights at all, and we're not getting any benefits from what has happened to us in the past. That that's crazy. Uh, so you know, I think it's absolutely critical that people who can write uh, a logical brief outlining what our position is, and other people adopting that brief. You know, you take off from there. And 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 I think that history is one of the best weapons uh, in vindicating our rights. And as Malcolm X said, of all the disciplines, history is best qualified to reward our research. And uh, I have an acronym which I call HELP, H-E-L-P. And this acronym exists uh, because black folks need help. And HELP is spelled history, ethics, logic, and philosophy. That's how you spell help. And so that is what binds us together. You see, one thing that happened in our community, we, need, we you certainly got to have your history because we need to know in what direction you're headed, and that's what history does. You know, we certainly need ethics because that is the glue that keeps a race together. That's the reason why in this country you don't hear uh, government officials talking about religion, they're talking about ethics, you know, because they, they don't give a hoot about uh, religion. I mean, it's only Negro preachers and others who are making a few dollars who are concerned about religion. Uh, but the the critical question here is ethics. And then help, that uh, this third component is logic, and that is how you think as a people and not have to rely on others to think for you. And this fourth is philosophy, and that is your belief, how you believe and believe in yourself and not let others trick you into believing that they should be uh, the persons who uh, should control your destiny because their philosophy is better than yours. And uh, we know that is absolutely wrong, and that's one of the real problems we have now with the Democratic Party. There's too many Negroes in the Democratic Party, and the philosophy of the Democratic Party is white supremacy, as well as the problem of the uh, Republican Party. And so you have a political... A duopoly here uh, between the Republican Party uh, and the Democratic Party, and the, uh, the the bottom line is is that it's like six in one hand and a half dozen in another. <laughs> Same thing. Same thing. Two different days. Uh, but um. Father Maddox, you know, uh, we were speaking on, on the Labor Day thing, and I wanted to bring in a couple callers, but I wanted to ask you a question about, I know you had a couple things going on up there in New York, and I, I heard tell that you were being um, held up from getting to some of your uh, court appointments and things of, that, mm-hmm. uh, things of that nature. So I just wanted to people, if you could, could you just expand on some of the things that have been going on with you and how the law has been um, 
really working as hard as to keep you from uh, being able to practice? Well, you know, one thing I think people have to understand is this. Uh, you only get inducted into the Hall of Fame if you have uh, been prosecuted for a defamation or you have been lynched or murdered or something of that nature because the idea is is that, you know, white folks uh, identify those persons who are really stepping on their toes. So, you know, you're in a situation where you got a Negro who want to run his mouth all day long, and yet uh, nobody's, he's not stepping on anybody's toes, uh, then that's a Negro you better run away from because he's not a threat uh, to anybody at all. Uh, you know, with me, uh, I am a, one of those persons who uh, I will always remain a thorn in their side, and, uh, you know, and I have never uh, taken an oath uh, that would denigrate my people, you know. So when I said I would practice law, I was like Donald Trump. You know, he made he, he made an oath the other day, but on minutes notice, you know, he's ready to uh, throw that oath away, you know, because uh, he's he's down with uh, the ultimate goals, uh, which is in his mind destruction of black people. So uh, whatever happens, uh, it's not going to take him away from his oath. I took an oath, uh, same way Donald Trump did. Uh, to let me uh, operate as long as I could, and when I couldn't operate no longer, you know, then the system going to move in on you. And that's what has happened to me. And uh, since I have uh, uh, not been practicing law, which has never been 25 years, uh, because, uh, you know, they held a kangaroo hearing uh, 25 years ago and said that, uh, you know, that I, I, I would not cooperate, which they were true. I would not cooperate. You know, I don't have a, I don't have a problem. They found found me guilty of what the facts were. Now, uh, the reality of it, I wasn't charged with that, but that's what they found me guilty of, and they're absolutely correct. I would never co- cooperate with white supremacy. So, you know, as I leave here every day, uh, I'm always a target, you know, wherever I go. And as I was telling people at the United African Movement, you know, you can uh, be over there, but if ain't nobody after you, then that you a person that everybody else ought to be suspicious of. Uh, you know, they're always after me, which is good, because that's what they're supposed to be, because I'm trying to dismantle white supremacy, and I'm a threat to national security. And so, you know, one of the things recently I've been involved in putting pressure on uh, New York in terms of attorney discipline. And the fact of the matter is that lawyer, black lawyers in particular are being disproportionately uh, disciplined and those who decide to speak out for their people will definitely not only be disciplined, but they will be disbarred. And so I've been fighting that fight lately. And uh, on my way up to Auburn, New York, on the 20th of July, uh, there was a roadblock that was set up to uh, intercept me uh, and to prevent me from getting to Auburn in time for the hearing. And that succeeded. And so now I had to go back to Albany on the 8th of uh of uh, September uh, to deal with the charges. Uh, And I have no problem dealing with that uh, because, you know, when we went to the hearing, I testified against New York on August 11th, and I took out an advertisement in the Amsterdam News and our Times Press on August 6th, uh, demanding that New York back off black lawyers. Now, when I went to the hearing, 
you know, I found out I was the only lawyer or, quote, unquote, suspended lawyer or disbarred lawyer who had testified. No other black person in New York came to the witness stand to testify against New York. And so this is this is crazy. Uh, where you have lawyers who know they are being abused and they are afraid to say anything, and the question becomes, if you are afraid to say anything about yourself, what would you say about your client? What would you say about your people? You know, if you're afraid uh, uh, of your own personal predicament. And this is where we are. And lawyers have to answer this. You know, what are, what are you doing riding around with a title, calling yourself Mr. Esquire, and you are absolutely terrified of white people? Mm-hmm. So you're 100% correct on that. And you're saying that about being uh, terrified of white people. I got one question I want to ask you before I go to the lines, and then I'm gonna uh, hit the lines up. But uh, I'm I'm one of the younger ones. I've seen a lot of different things. New Black Panther Party come in, come out, uh, and I've seen this guy Malik Zulu Shabazz a lot of times. And so I've seen something. I'm, I'm into the social media, and I'm looking on uh, Facebook. There was a flyer for some type of um, meeting that they're having in Georgia where the bubble is supposed to show up. But on the top of the flyer, it said Malik Zulu Shabazz, attorney at war. <laughs> well, well, you know, <laughs> look, let, let, let me say this. Uh, and I don't want to really uh, get too much into Malik until a certain time and we uh, talk face-to-face. But, you know, I would feel more comfortable uh, with Malik, if he was indicted and prosecuted for some crimes, and he faced the possibility of either the loss of his liberty or death itself, you know. And so, my point is, you know, you can come to New York, for example, uh, as Malik Zulu Shabazz, and talk stuff. And then when you leave, if you haven't been indicted uh, for talking stuff in New York, then, you know, it makes me suspect that something else may be going on in your life uh, because, you know, I, I've been talking <laughs> stuff myself, and I've been under indictment and criminal prosecution and everything else. So I would like to find out how that Malik can come to New York and uh, do things that nobody else can do and then go home and sleep a very comfortable uh, evening, uh, you know, and that's what bothers me. You know, because it seems like what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And if I'm the one that white folks are always picking on and uh, Malik is coming into town and selling wolf tickets and never having to to, to uh, clean up those wolf tickets, uh, you know, it just makes me question uh, what is really going on in Malik's life. Uh, well, you know, I'm only asking because I've seen the title. And, you know, just immediately I just had to ask him. Uh, it was only one question that I really wanted to ask him, and the one question was, I said, Tony at war. I said, well, you know, brother, how much do you work with Barbara Automatics? And, and, <laughs> and the response was, well, Automatics is too difficult to work with. He don't like working with it. He don't like working with people. And I said, well, okay, then. I said, well, you know, and my thought was, was this right here, Automatic, this is the respect that I have have for you is that I think that you've been around enough uh, rooms and enough spaces long enough 
that if you deem not to work, if you difficult to work with, this for a reason. Because it don't seem like you too difficult to work with with his circumstances. <laughs> so it is only certain people that he might be difficult to work with. So I said, oh, all right, there, brother, I understand what you're saying. Clear, he's just too rough to work with. And, I, and then it gave me an opening to why he's too rough to work with because you're going to get him in trouble. You know, this takes me back, but, you know, the first two jobs that I, I got in New York, uh, I started working at the Harlem Assertion of Rights, uh, which was a uh, poverty program, uh, you know, and I became, I, I became a poverty lawyer because that's really what I wanted to be uh, when I graduated from law school. You know, a lot of lawyers were trying to get into government agencies. Some lawyers were trying to be law partners, you know, for this or that, and some people wanted to be prosecutors, but I wanted to be a poverty lawyer. Now, the reason why I wanted to be a poverty lawyer is because most of our people are in poverty. All right, so therefore, you know, I wanted to be with them, and we try to fight uh, this whole issue. And so, uh, you know, but the interesting thing is that black lawyers are a little bit different than the black masses. And so, you know, when you go into a situation, as I did at Harlem Social Rights, I ended up, um, or at least I was credited with uh, getting rid of all the white lawyers and bringing in all black lawyers, you know. And so uh, as a result of uh, me being credited with that, uh, we had an all-black uh, office up there in Harlem. And uh, the next thing I know, the brothers and sisters uh, were knocked on my door one night, and I was preparing for a case for for another next day, and they said, brother, we want to talk to you uh, in the law library. And I said, oh, okay. You know, and I was saying to myself, well, what do they want to talk to me about? <laughs> you know, I mean, they ought to be working like I am. But anyway, I went on in there, and uh, they said, and this was in 1976, uh, and they said, that we want you out of here. And I said, well, brother, why? And they said, because you don't like white people. And I said, well, how, how did you know that? I mean, you weren't here when I was getting rid of them. I mean, you know, <laughs> and, and you, you don't know why I was doing it. So why would you say that? Well, we know, we heard you don't like white people, and we want you out of here. So I was fired. I, in October of 1976, I was fired, and uh, I had to leave, and then I went and... Um, joined the National Company of Black Lawyers, and so while I was down there, they got some funds, and it was a juvenile defense project, and uh, actually uh, I had done some research and, uh, you know, found out that uh, New York had drafted uh, the, uh, 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 the apartheid law of South Africa for youth. And this law rose out of the uh, Soweto uprisings, you know. So New York decided to write its own law to to war on black youth in New York. And so, you know, so it was a good uh, 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 purpose uh, for us, you know, to get the money and to try to fight it and fight it I did. But in the meantime, again, uh, some of the black lawyers said, well, we want you out of here. I said, why? He said, because you don't have nothing but black people. And I'm saying to myself, well, you know, is there anything wrong with me only hiring black people? 
You know, I mean, that's how white folks do. You know, nobody mad at them. Nobody called them racist, you know, for what they do. So what I'm trying to say is, is that the problem with the legal profession, and this is what people need to understand, the the initial black lawyers uh, in this country was trained by white lawyers. And it was initially an apprenticeship program. That's how lawyers first started. And so uh, after a period of time, uh, when we were able to go into law school, we were going to the white law schools, and so we were still being taught by uh, uh, white lawyers, white professors. And then after a certain period of time, uh, we started having our own little schools, which really didn't raise a, a big dent in the legal profession, but they were ours. But we were using their case methods and the way that they taught us how to represent our own people. So what I'm saying is is that the legal profession itself uh, can really brainwash lawyers, you know. And um, there was an article I just finished reading in Bloomberg magazine uh, talking about uh, lawyers are getting dumber. And I agree with that. Uh, and I agree with it because, you see, when we first started practicing law, we were taught by others who were not teaching us how to represent our people. Uh, so we learned how to represent other folks. So that's the reason why, you know, the legal profession is, is the way it is today because nobody's ever taught black people how to represent black people. And so, you know, and because nobody's ever taught us how, that, we have this belief that the white man's uh, ice is colder and his sugar is sweeter, you know. And so uh, when, you know, somebody like me come along, uh, there are going to be allegations where he don't know how to get along with people. I do know how to get along with people. I get along with people very well. Uh, I go into juries, uh, all white juries, and uh, they end up loving me. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I, I, get, I get along with white folks very well, you know. It's just that white folks need to understand that I say what I mean, and I mean what I say. It's just simple as that. I'm not backing up an inch, you know, and I'm not uh, doing no tap dance in the courtroom or nothing else like that, but it's just that I say what I mean and mean what I say, and there are some white people who are intelligent enough to recognize that you need to respect a man like that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, you know, um, I... I understand exactly where you're coming from. And as I said, you know, when the brother said that to me, man, we can see why they'll push you out. You know, uh, people have, they retract in that, where if it's black, this black man shouldn't be hiring so many black people with too black in here. Right. Oh, yeah. and, that, and that's sad. You know, that's what we call, you know, like I said, in the new memories, we call that that the nigger writers. When anything black is bad, we got nigger writers, anything black, y'all too black, there's too black, too many of us in here. If that shit bad, get out of here. We need more white in here. So, yeah, you know. And, 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 you know, and my thing is I don't retreat from my position because I love black people. You know, I let white folks know that. I love black people. And if I got a choice, I want to be around black people. I want to have black lawyers rather than white lawyers. And, you know, I mean, look. Uh, back in the uh, uh, early, in the 1980s and all of that, when you had a lawyer like William Consler around, uh, who were considered very progressive lawyers, uh, Bill and I were very close. But I told Bill, Bill, 
on any case that I'm involved in, and you're involved in, or any other white lawyer is involved in, I'm going to always be first chair. So y'all going to always look to me. Always. You know, if if that's the situation, if that's not the situation, then I, you'll never see me around white lawyers at all. I didn't dislike Bill. I just told him the way it was. I wasn't taking orders from white folks. Yeah, I say. And, you know, and that's, that's the step that we have to start taking. But, Bob, um, it's up to you whether or not you know we'll start letting in a couple callers and get some questions. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Knock yourself out. You do whatever you want to do. All right, then. All right, then. We, you know, our family, we're going to come to the line right now. We're going to open up the lines and get y'all in here. Let's uh, let's see right here. And when you call and when you come in, uh, please state your name and um uh, and your question. State your name and where you and also where you calling from, if you like. There we go. Like power open the feet on the ground radio. Uh, with Barbara Automatics. You come in, our family, give your name and uh, question. New York City, I'll see you out there. Um, this brother, uh, Baker, um, uh, from New York. Um, um, brother Matty, can you speak on the thing with the uh, violation, the traffic violation? that um, you ran into and what the outcome of that situation could be or speak on Cuomo's um, uh, thing against you as far as travel is concerned? Well, you know, this, and that's a very good question uh, because, you see, uh, in 1994, I formed the Freedom Party because uh, I believe uh, that black people need a political voice other than the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. Now, it has not been easy for me to really maintain this because uh, as uh, our uh, ancestor, Kwame Ture, also known as Stoker Carmichael, said, uh, there's going to take a period of time when our people are going to have to get a political education. Uh, so, you know, while you, you're forming a political party, you must also uh, take time out uh, to allow those who want a political education to get a political education. And that's the reason why I virtually write every day uh, in addition to everything else because you can just be a leader of an organization or a spokesperson for an organization, but you got to also be a teacher. You know, so you have to wear several hats because our people uh, have, have had a uh, – Rough time politically. Uh, right here in New York, uh, for example, there was the Constitutional Convention of 1821. And in that Constitutional Convention, uh, which uh, came about uh, three years before blacks in New York was finally emancipated, uh, the Constitutional Convention said that uh, white men had a right to a democracy at, but Negroes had a right only to a democracy, and that meant that basically white men on skin color alone uh, were uh, able uh, to participate at the ballot box. But for a black person to participate at the ballot box, 
you had to own some property. Now, uh, somebody who's been on the plantation all along, uh, the one thing you don't have any property. So, you know, that meant, basically meant that we didn't have anything. And so this idea of a political party uh, is a real threat uh, to the political duopoly uh, which exists in New York. That political duopoly being the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. And in 1994, uh, 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 I was in Albany Federal Court. And uh, at that time, there was testimony that said uh, that black people do not have a right uh, to a political party because we were trying to get uh, ballot access, you know, where we could run our own candidates on our own party. And so uh, they said, no, you don't have a right to a political party. So, you know, the hostility uh, exists of anybody who's trying to form a political party. So that's not something that white people welcome, you know, because what we don't ask and, and don't understand, that both the Democratic Party and the Republican Party are Fortune 500 corporations. You know, just like General Motors is a Fortune 500 corporation, just like Ford is a Fortune 500 uh, cor- uh, corporation, just like General Foods is a Fortune 500 corporation, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party are Fortune 500 corporations. And the white people uh, see us like they see slaves on a plantation. And I put that in quotation marks. Uh, and that, that, you know, our job is to simply go out there and labor uh, from sunup to sundown and uh, allow them to take all the profits, and we get nothing. So, you know, when you start talking about forming a political party, then that is means you're talking about competition. And any form of competition with white folks is dangerous. You know, if I, I was over there in Brooklyn, uh, and I would bring, I would get more business than anybody else in the building. I was in 16 Court Street, which is the lawyer's building in Brooklyn, and uh, people were lined up at the door. Uh, and so white lawyers looked at that and said, "Wait a minute, you taking food out of, out of my mouth, you know?" And some got to be done with that. And so they took an action. That's that's what it means when you're a threat to white supremacy. You're a real threat when you start taking money out of their pocket. And so. Uh, when I got ready to go up to Albany, uh, it was pretty well known uh, on the 28th of July that I was going to go up there for this attorney dis- discipline hearing uh, because I've been a champion of that even before that time. If you go to my website, uh, com, com, then you will see that I have written an avalanche of letters uh, to the chief judge of the Court of Appeals, as well as to uh, Governor Cuomo, as well as to Preet Bharara, uh, the U.S. attorney. So I've been very hot on them, and they finally granted us the right to have an attorney a disciplinary hearing, at which I, uh, you know, believe that I, I was pretty much responsible for. And uh, so when I, when I was stopped up there, I was stopped uh, on the uh, guys uh, that uh, – I had not paid taxes uh, in 25 to 30 years. And they were right. I have not paid taxes in 25 or 30 years. Now, there are two two arguments I could make uh, to that. Uh, The first argument I could make 
is that uh, I have had income in 30 years. So, I mean, how do you pay tax on income that you never had? Mm. You know, I mean, that that's, that that's the first line of argument. The second argument is why should I pay tax anyway? I mean, even, even despite the fact that I don't have had income, uh, and therefore I have no reason to pay uh, taxes on a legal basis, but from a political point of view, I don't have no right to vote. I don't have a right of representation. So why should I be paying tax even on that? Uh, uh, matter. So you know uh, that. But what they cited me for is that I had no business uh, driving in New York, and uh, and so you know I, I do have a license. I know been suspended or nothing that matter. But they claim that uh, because uh, you don't pay your taxes, you have no right to travel. And my position is I have a right to travel. First of all, I'm a human being, uh, and so I have a right to travel just by the mere fact of my status. The second reason why I have a right to travel is that I'm the chairperson of a political party. How can you have uh, a political party and not have a, the head of the political party being able to travel sure. inside and outside of the state? So that's the circumstances that I'm be fighting up in Albany on Tuesday. Black Power. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we're going to move down the line. Thank you for the question, Brother Baker. Uh, we're going to move on down the line. Let's see right here. Uh, Black Power, welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio. State your name, any question or comment for uh, Bob Automatic. All right, going once, going twice, by power, your line is open. That's you, brother. I, I hear you fiddling. That's you. Our sister. All right, then, well, we'll come back. We'll go down the line. We got some We got some other callers out there. Let's see. Black Power, your line is open. Welcome to Feel on the Ground Radio. I'll state your name and question or comment for Bible Automatics. California, California call out there. California, I see you out there. You got a question or comment? Hello? Yes, yes, sir. No problem. State your name uh, and, and question. Uh, it's Brother Henry. Uh, only comment that I have is I didn't really agree with us being partners. I would say we're we're owners. We was here before any type of people was on this uh, landmass. And I think we should just go ahead and separate because even if you take what they are supposed to give us, they have the military and all this other stuff, the means to take it back. I think we should just separate and develop our own. That's my personal opinion. Okay, well, you, you certainly have a right to your personal opinion, and I don't think your personal opinion flies in the face of anything that I have said. Uh, the reality of it is, uh, in a court of equity, uh, you know, it takes land, labor, and capital uh, in order to for there to be a productive society. So, you know, you look for who owned the land, who owned the capital, and who owned the labor. And so my point was uh, yes, making a, an equitable argument. That's what you have to understand. We're talking about equity now. 
and make it I know, an equi- and but make they can't be with. Oh it no, I'm not. No, no, we, no. But see, you're getting ahead of yourself, though. We not haven't even gotten there yet. You know, let's think to where we are. Okay. You know, okay. I mean, all those other things that you say may be very well true, but let's do it step by step first. You know, and then we'll get to that. Whether it whether it be a reasonable doubt. Okay. Uh-huh. One quick question: What is the time frame that we're looking at, man? Because we're not getting any younger. I mean, like. Are we looking at five years uh, uh, equitable argument or ten years equitable argument? Like at, at each step or each process, what is the time frame? So if they say no to this, what's the next step and how long are we going to wait and argue that and, and so on well, and so forth? Because me personally, that, I'm ready to move forward right again, now. Again, again, that's an excellent question. See, I mean, you know, we haven't said anything yet which takes us off the table, okay? We're still on the table, you know. We still having a very intelligent discussion, you know. <laughs> all right, you know what I mean. So you know, you don't say this thing, I don't say this thing, and I, you know, I'm like you, you know. It's just like Dr. King said, you know, why we can't wait. I mean, look, that's not a problem with that. I understand, and you're right. You know, when you engage in a struggle, brother, there are four things, four elements of a struggle. Those elements are you first have to have goals. Now, those goals, are unfortunately, not going to be my goals or not going to be your goals. It's going to be the people's goals, okay? That right. second thing, second thing that we have to have is a timetable. That's what you're talking about now, all right? And the third thing we have to do is develop a strategy and the tactics that are necessary to achieve that. So, you know, I can understand very much after 40 years, you know, you, you would be crazy not to be impatient. You know what I mean? And, and nobody's asking you to take a chill pill and uh, and not deal with reality. I mean, I can understand that very well. And so my point is this. Now, this is what I have done, you know, because I'm only one person trying to really get something going, you know. And in a presidential election year, uh, it was, seems to me that some of us will recognize that what uh, Frederick Douglass said is true. Power conceives nothing without a demand. It would seem like some of us will recognize if that is the case, then then my position is, and I hope that we can promote this nationwide, start in various regions of the country. And right. one of the things I wanted to do on October 3rd was to kick this off in D.C. And then from there, uh, we can plot what regions of the country, was it California, uh, was it Minnesota, was it Alabama, you know, wherever it is, you know, we can develop how we can do this so that we can connect all of the parts together, you know. Okay. But, all right, but what you're saying is absolutely correct. But the, the starting line that I have is October 3rd, October 3rd you know, and okay. uh, we're, we're in negotiation now with the University of District of Columbia to have a big kickoff there. In D.C. and then yeah. after that, we you know mm-hmm. we're going to move hopefully throughout the nation where we can eventually come together in 2016 with our own national black political convention and we can sit down as a people, all parts of the country, sitting together to develop what what our goals are, what our timetable is, what our strategy is, and what our tactics are. All right, now. How are we supposed to demand? Because, you know, this European devil, the only thing he hears is money and bloodshed. If you, outside of that, 
and even in the money part, like they can always change the currency. So like, yeah, he only right. hear yeah. destruction. Okay, that's all he okay. hears. Well, let me, let me say this, brother. When, when they, when they, listen. Okay. I, okay. When, when, when they, uh, Chris, hold on one second. Go ahead. Second, on both parties. Hold on one second on both parties. Um, brother Henry, uh, we're gonna let brother, we're gonna let Bob Maddox answer your question, and um, because we got a lot of other callers on oh, the yeah, line. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no uh, doubt. No uh, doubt. Uh, my brother, bad. Brother, <laughs> brother, I don't want to stop you from asking your questions, but I just want to. What I want to do, and it's gonna be very short. I just want to interject something. So, Brother Henry, who may not necessarily get a chance to hear me that often, uh, you know, I can sort of put it put it out there, is that I've always said two things about white people. They're bilingual. They're bilingual. And this fits exactly what you were just saying. That's what I told you. We're on the same page. Now, you know, because you've never heard me before, maybe, uh, it doesn't mean that we're on different pages. White people are bilingual. They only speak two languages. Those are legalese and military science. Those are the two languages they speak. All right? Uh-huh. So, you know, we all got, when we step out here, we all got to be ready for legalese and military science because that's the way they roll. You know, and whatever, whichever they, way they roll, that's the way they roll. That's what we have to roll with them, you know, and let the best race win. I mean that's all that's all that boils down to. I don't have no problem with that, you know, because uh, with me, death is not a frightening affair. All right, with me, because I see I've been involved in the civil rights movement. I have nearly been lynched. I have been beaten by thirteen police officers and thrown in a jail cell to die. You know, so I have done it all. You know what I mean? So you know, it's like I'm living on borrowed time now, brother. You know, so this, none of this stuff, none of this stuff scares me. All right, you know, and I'm just glad to be here today to continue to talk to others so that you will have enough of what I've believed in before my appointed time comes close. All right, because we all got to leave here at some point. But when I leave, I want to have left with the next generation as much wisdom and knowledge as I can conceivably do. And so that's where I spend my lifetime now uh, because I have acquired a lot of through experience and through uh, competition and other ways to know quite a bit about white supremacy. I don't want you to have to reinvent the wheel. I want you to be able to go and say what the Maddox said and take that as the truth and move from there. <laughs> I'll say. I'll say. I'll, I'll say. say. Hey, Brother Henry, he, he came in. Uh, I'm like, Brother Henry, I'm a mutual line, but that's, that's one of the statements that he made about the Maddox. So I know that y'all are on the same page because he said, we don't have no reason to keep reinventing the wheel. We got elders who already have laid it down. Let's just go see what the elders say and let's move forward with what they say. There you go. That's what it's about. Yes, sir. Well, we're going to go down the line. Let's get, let's get these callers on in. New York, New York, your line is open. Welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio. We're here with Bible Automatic. State your name, question, or comment. More New York, New York. Um, going once, going twice. All right, all right. We're going out to our other New York caller. We at the East Coast filling it up right now. Uh, New York. Uh, welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio. Baba Automatic. State your name and question the comment.
Come on in. I, I got your line open. Open once. You're going once. You're going twice. All right. We're going to move on down again. Uh, like, Powell, we got we got a couple callers out here, though. They're listening in, Baba. Uh, come on. Don't be afraid of Baba Maddox. Uh, come on in. The Feet on the Ground Radio. Welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio. Um if you got a question or comment, come on in and state your name first. Well, I ain't going y'all are quiet out there. Very, very quiet. And also, for the people who are in the chat room, inside our, our Internet chat room, if you have a question or comment and you're listening in on the Internet chat room, just put your question inside of our, our chat room and I'll go ahead and ask Baba Maddox the question. But also, while I'm going down the line, Baba Maddox, is there anything that the people need to be aware of, any upcoming events besides the Brooklyn uh, event? Uh, are there any other events that the people should be aware of and um, striving to get out to, or what's the next thing that you well, have going on? Well, away? It, well, as I said before, uh, you know, in order for uh, anything to grow, you have to first plant a seed. That's that's why, you know, you have to be a planter. You have to put a seed in the ground, and then you have to fertilize the seed and, and help it grow. Now, uh, what we're talking about now is our putting seeds in the ground. I will be in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, on October 9th. I'll be in Atlanta, Georgia. I believe that's a Friday. I'll be in Atlanta, Georgia, on October 9th. Now, on October 3rd, I will be in Washington, D.C., as I had previously indicated. Uh, and what we are trying to do now is create a groundswell because we have waited too long uh, for other people to act, and they're not acting. I mean, you know, we're supposed to have black elected officials. We're supposed to have leading blacks and all that, but they're all quiet, and they're quiet for a reason. And the reason why they are quiet is because they don't represent us anyway, all right? And the white man has told them to keep quiet uh, and let this thing blow over. Uh, our position is we don't want to keep it quiet. You know, we don't want it to blow over. And so that's why we're making noises. Now, there are some black people out here who are dumb enough to think that their so-called leaders uh, can, run, can, can call the shots uh, and do whatever, but they can't. You know, that, that didn't happen on the plantation, and we're still on the plantation. You know, as Harriet Tubman said, if they only knew that they were slaves, I could have freed a lot more of them. Our problem is we don't know that we are still enslaved. I mean, so, uh, but the point is uh, we're going to be in Washington, D.C., and we're going to be in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, and we're going to be in other cities. And so we're making this announcement uh, as how we're going to develop this, because we have to have a national black political convention. There's an old saying that our people came up with before the white man, and that is if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. If you fail to plan, that you fail to plan. Now, what happened was around 1830, the color convention movement started where black people every year would assemble somewhere, discuss their problems, and plight how they were going to liberate themselves. This started way before Abraham Lincoln said he had freed the slaves. 
All right. He understood that we were going to get free anyway because they weren't waiting on Lincoln, you know. And a lot of people, I, I think that our people were sitting idle. They came to this country, and they learned real fast. Our ancestors were very smart, very intelligent. And this is the reason why Dred Scott, Chief Justice Roger Taney, said no Negro has any right to white man respect because Taney wasn't talking about the, quote, slaves. He already knew they were on the plantation. He was talking about the, quote, free Negroes who Taney knew were going to cause an uprising. That's what that was about. That's why you have to study these cases and really know your history, you know, whether it's the Labor Day history, uh, who, who gave us Labor Day and who should be the first laborers, or whether it is uh, Scott versus Sanford uh, and the, the threat that free Negroes gave to this country. You know, we got to know all of that. And so uh, Taney said that, you know, this is something that we got to deal with because these Negroes are dangerous because they came here and they, the first political convention in this country was not by the Democratic Party. The first political convention in this country was by black people. All right, The Democrats learned from us as to why it was important for them to have conventions. Uh, our problem is that we just don't know enough of our history, most of us, to understand this whole process. But as you learn more of your history, you begin to realize the strength of our people and how we can overcome them. So, you know, it's not a question of saying, well, we know the white man's a devil. He probably is. All right, we know the white man's a snake. He is. But that's not the issue. The issue is that whatever he was, we've been here for 40 years. He ain't got rid of us yet. Now, let's give us ourselves some credit for still being around a devil or a snake. I tell you, that's warriorhood. That's that warriorhood that's been brought up in us. That's that warrior spirit. Brother, um, before I hit the line again, there was a question in the chat room. Um, you you mentioned earlier that there was four necessary parts to um mm-hmm. in this in the struggle in the struggle right there were four necessary parts in the struggle and right. one, of, one of the guests that was in the chat room they heard you but they didn't get clear exactly what four parts and they was asking could you just repeat those four parts for them real quick oh yeah definitely those four parts are these a you have to have goals they have to be definable goals that's the first thing you do when you sit down. Second thing, you got to look at a timetable, and you got to recognize that certain things got to be done by certain periods, and you have to work towards those. Then you have to develop the strategy in order to bring that about, and the strategy is the overall view of how you approach the problem. The tactics are the individual things that you do in terms of implementing the tactics, but the four critical elements are goals, strategy, goals, I'm sorry, timetable, strategy, and tactics, you know, and that, that that's part of military science, you know, and, 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 and the reason why they call me the attorney at war is because I always impose military science in every case that I tried. You know, I wasn't like a Negro lawyer walk up in there with a, a briefcase and all that. I was, I, I was going to the courtroom as a warrior. That's how you have to go. You have to use military science. Uh, to deal with that and the very tools of military science. Because that, that's how you have to fight white folks. I mean, so when the brother said earlier, well, you know how these devils are, man. You know, you're, I know how they are. That's why that's why I perfected military science. That's why I perfected legalese, because I know exactly what, how they are. And that's the reason why I told the brother, yeah, we're on the same page, brother. You're not bringing anything 
to the table that I'm, I'm not aware of or nor am I afraid of, you know, uh, because I've been down this road many times, you know, and that's just the reality. But that's what we have to do. We have to understand our approach to things and begin to solve the problem. I mean, look, the greatest warrior in the world is Hannibal. You know, and they set him up in West Point right now. And that's how great he was. You know, and and, and some of us are still Hannibals. That's why they own us all the time. That's why so many brothers are behind bars, because they mm-hmm. suspect they may be a Hannibal. Already. Yeah, they, they suspect they might be after the next Hannibal. That, that might be him. You know, you know, uh, Gay Edgar Hoover, he's looking for that black messiah. There you go. You know, there you go. We're going to go on. We're going to move down the line. Uh, real quick, you know, uh, Bobby said he's going to stay in here for a little bit with us, so um, we're going to go to the line. Texas, Texas, your line is open. Welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio with Bobby Automatic. State your name and question the comment. How you doing, Bobby Automatic, man? It's a uh, pleasure to talk to you. Uh, Thank you. My, my question, man, I had heard you say it earlier about, uh, about not getting on the stand, and uh, I just want you to uh, want to know because you elaborate a little bit more on that. You know what I'm saying? As far as uh, does that does that go for any kind of case that you that that we are involved in? Yeah, well, it goes for any case in which you are the defendant, and the other side has to prove the case. And my point is this: first of all, uh, when I go in a courtroom, uh, I make sure that all of your rights are enforced as they claim they are. You see, uh, too many times black men are convicted uh, because somebody withheld some evidence. You know, they knew that you were innocent, uh, but they hid the evidence, and therefore a jury convict you. Well, you see, with me, it's a war step by step uh, with me. I mean, anybody ever been in a courtroom would tell you that I war from day one. When I walk into the courtroom, everybody got on notice that the warrior lawyer is present, you know, and we're getting ready to war. I mean, and, and uh, I, I, I brought uh, thousands of people into courtrooms to to see me operate, you know, and people know that. So it's not a matter of I have to basically say it. There are people out there who listen, I'm sure, that can tell you that. Uh, but you have to take these people inch by inch, foot by foot, yard by yard, and mile by mile. Yes, yes. I, so I, I just want to, I mean, because I'm, I'm, I'm feeling that, man. I just want to know. So, so from here out, I should just start suggesting to all my brothers, don't ever take, don't never take the stand, no matter what. Pretty much. Absolutely no. What, what they should do is never take the witness stand and go nose to nose, toe to toe, and eyeball to eyeball with the prosecutor, and recognize that he or she is the enemy. Already, black power. Um, how, you, my doing? how you doing? This is uh, his wife, um, Sister Okay. Lucia, and I just want to say black power to you. I was enjoying the way um, how you were talking about how you be handling no peck of wood. Much love and respect to you, brother. Thank you. Please keep I will appreciate it. Thank you very much, All right. sister. All right. All right, black power. family down there in Texas, brother Tim and his wife. Uh, we're going to open up the lines. Next up, we got we got some more East Coast, New York City. Black Power, welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio. Pressing a comment for Bible Automatic Station. Well, right. What's going on, guests? Uh, state your name and question the comment for Bible Automatic. Your line is open. Hello. 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 Hello.
All right, sound like they muted their line when we got in. Let's see. <laughs> uh, Black Power, welcome to Freedom on the Ground Radio. State your name, the question, the comment for Bible Automatic. I feel your line is open. I see your background. It might be at work. They sound like they at work right there tuning in and making sure that they get some of this good, this good information with us. You know, we always respect our callers and always love the fact that they come on in and, uh, you know, tune in while they at work and things of that nature. Let's go to our – hold on, hold on. That was the same line. Excuse me. All right, Black Power, BB48, Vocal Feet on the Ground Radio. Uh, it's your brother, Born with Bible Automatics. State your name and question the comment. Back to New York, and line is open. Uh, all right, question or comment? We're going to Georgia. Georgia, the line is Georgia, 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 Oh, We're right. muted. You are unmuted. You have to turn your computer. You have to turn your computer. All right, sister. Uh, All right, I think. Yeah, we're gonna have to get this. We're gonna have to get this. And we'll come back to you. All right. All right. All right. Yeah, sister got her computer on at the same time. She got to turn that, that speaker down. We'll get that to her. Uh, Virginia, Black Power, welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio. Uh, question and comment for Bible Automatic. State your name. Okay, come on in. Virginia, your line is open. Uh, yes, can I be heard? Yes, just state your name and question and comment. Uh, yes, my name is Finian Stewart, and I wanted to thank uh, Brother Bourne and uh, Brother Maddox for taking this time. I wanted to ask, um, I was analyzing, uh, I think it was about two years ago when they came out with the announcement that Asada Shakur was the number one uh, person on the FBI's most wanted list. They said during the uh, press conference she was number one because of her writing and her basically her speech. Now, as an American citizen, we have freedom of speech. So to me, that put me on alert that black citizens are no longer have freedom of speech, or we may we may we may never we may never really have had any freedom of speech. So to me, that that put us on notice that you know everyone who uh, who felt like okay, well, the Bill of Rights applies to us and we have rights. That let us know that there there's a there's a discrepancy involved. And I just wanted to ask Brother Maddox what he thought about that, and also um, what does he think about pro se litigants? Um, representing themselves in court, as long as they've uh, done the proper education and proper uh, knowledge of the law, do you think that they could be uh, successful in court? Thank you. Okay, th- those are excellent questions. And uh, I'm going to start with the first question first. Uh, there are two amendments, two, two amendments in the uh, Bill of Rights that were never and can never be intended uh, for blacks, and those are the First Amendment and the Second Amendment. 
those right those two amendments and the reason why the first amendment is important is because the pen is mightier than the sword and and the gun is the most alternative way of selling disputes in this country so the right to bear arms is very critical and the right to express yourself and to express yourself to others are very critical. Uh, and uh, from those two uh, amendments, uh, everything else flows. And that's really why it's very important uh, for us to understand them. Uh, I was, uh, some years ago, uh, we were at the Slave Theater in Brooklyn, and uh, this woman came in, Manu Southgate, uh, she identified herself as an uh, Iranian Jew, and she had been sent by the American, uh, by the uh, ADL, uh, uh, to uh, to interrupt and disrupt our programming. And uh, I had to inform her that white people can't come in our program. And I informed her not because I dislike white people. See, a lot of times, you know, you can stand on your rights. And if those rights offend white people, then Negro would immediately say, well, he don't like white people. That that has nothing to do with me disliking white people. That has something to do with me standing on my rights. And one of the fundamental rights in the First Amendment is the right of association. I can decide who I want to associate with in the same way the Ku Klux Klan can decide who they want to associate with. Uh, so uh, we had to take that case to uh, to trial. And the Giuliani administration, Rudolph Giuliani, uh, was the one that was trying to disrupt uh, our organization. And uh, a lot of people in the organization themselves were very sketchy about uh, what we had a right to tell white people they couldn't come in. Uh, but we went to court, and uh, we fought, and we won. And that's the reason why I say it's two, th- it's two things you have to fight white people with is legal lease and military science. And you have to understand the First and Second Amendments are very important uh, for our exercise because we have a right to defend ourselves against predators. And that's what uh, the American jurisprudence uh, system is, is based on natural law. And natural law means the predators and the prey. So, you know, when you get uh, an indictment and you've been indicted, uh, it'll say the United States of America, for example, against John Doe. Well, that that indictment properly read should be read as the predator against the prey, uh, the people who want to uh, destroy you as a prey. And so the way that predators operate is that they want to disarm you of your right to self-defense. That's the first thing they do. That's really why they want to have guns, because they don't want, they don't want to face any difficulty in devouring you, all right? So that's the reason why the First and Second Amendments are very important uh, in order to understand and that don't let nobody tell you disarm yourself and not have a gun because if if I did not have the right to bear arms, I wouldn't be here myself today. You know, I can't tell you, uh, well, you know, you need to not uh, uh, deal with guns and, and put your uh, hand in, in the hand of the Lord. Well, I can't say that because, you know, I mean, I didn't put my own, I mean, maybe my hand was in the hands of the Lord, but my hand was on on, on a gun at the same time, you know. So, uh, you know, and that's the way I, that's the way you see things. So 
yes, uh, it's very important to understand that the two amendments that they would never want you to exercise and that you're going to have to give life or death to exercise them are the First Amendment and the Second Amendment. And our people need to really understand what those amendments stand for. You see, it's not the wording of those amendments that are frightening. It's the history behind those, those amendments. There's a legal history behind the First Amendment, and there's a legal history behind the Second Amendment. And just you're reading the First Amendment and, the, and reading the Second Amendment without understanding the legal history behind those amendments takes away from the, imp, the, the, the potency of those amendments themselves. The second question that was asked was whether uh, somebody should uh, uh, go pro se. And my answer to that, by all means, go pro se. Uh, because uh, that's what I've had to do. I, I've had criminal trials. They brought me up on on charges. Uh, and when I did, if I had put my life in the hands of any lawyer, I would be doing time to today behind bars. You know. But when you are, uh, uh, when you understand a little bit of the legal process, you understand a little bit about legal lease. You're able to communicate to that jury who you really are. And they can get a feel for that, you know. And I've had jurors engage in jury nullification. I've had judges who have told the jury, Maddox is guilty as hell, don't even think about it, bring in a guilty verdict. And what they have done, come back and say, Judge, will you read that jury instruction again? And the judge reads it again, and they have refused to convict. So, you know, that's all part of pro se. I would urge anybody to learn as much legalese as you can before you get in trouble. And if you got the option to go pro se rather than have any lawyer to represent you, because lawyers don't know how to represent you anyway. They don't teach lawyers how to represent black people. And, and, and there are reports now that lawyers are getting dumber than they ever were. So, I mean, who needs that? You start off with somebody who wasn't taught how to represent you, you got your own problem, your own special problem, and now you find out that lawyers are getting dumber. So, you know, that's a guarantee for going into prison. And so, yeah, I, I clearly uh, suggest that everybody go pro se, but in the meantime, to understand that there are two things you got to understand about whites. They are bilingual, that is, they only communicate in legalese and military science. Yes, sir. Um, hold on, let me hit the brother from East Virginia. Let me see. Is the brother still um, still there? Uh, that's a, uh, and I say I say this as uh, from experience as somebody who's not a lawyer but has gone in pro se. You know, uh, a lot of times just the language that you use will scare them into, and, and I basically only had to go in for, for traffic tickets, for traffic tickets. But the first thing that I asked for is jurisdictional hearing. I need to make sure that the first thing I need to make sure is you got jurisdiction over me. And let me tell you something. You see, when you start using legalese, just the, the idea that you're throwing words out there that a legal term scares people. All right? You know, the idea you say, do you have jurisdiction over me? Over me. Now, a lot of times they don't have jurisdiction over you. All right? And you just take it as though they do. 
and you don't ask no legal questions, and that's why you go right down the tubes. So you're absolutely right. That's a tremendous benefit to just use legal lease in defending yourself because they got to look at you differently than all of the other defendants that they're going to look at that day in court. Exactly. They, they, and, and that's exactly what happened. What ended up happening is that the the judge, he ended up uh, holding my case over. He held it over um, for another three weeks. I came back, and, and the next time that I'm coming in, now he's making me wait until I'm the last person who go up in front of the judge. He's making sure that nobody else sees me go up in front of the judge because I'm doing everything opposite of what the judge say. They're telling me, you know, you got to stand there with your hands in front. I'm standing with my hands behind me. They, uh, you know, when they tell you, you know, everybody got to stand up when the judge come in. I'm sitting down. So once I started displaying those types of actions in the courtroom and, and my question, you know, my question was about jurisdiction and also whether or not this lawyer who they had assigned to me, whether or not he had a right to um, take and defend me, whether he had a right to speak for me. That, that was another problem that we were having. And mm-hmm. you know, they, uh, held, like I said, they held it over for three weeks. I came back. They, uh, you know, they tell me, we're going to give you another lawyer. And what you filed, they told me when I filed for uh, for them to, um, to see if they had jurisdiction, that I didn't file the paperwork right. And I said, well, I didn't know that it was paperwork that I had to file to go along with the jurisdictional hearing. I thought that it was a question that I needed to ask right here in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so, you know, he told me, no, uh, we're going to hold this over for another three weeks. I come back in three more weeks. Now, over time, they'll start to try to wear you out. So mm-hmm. I come back in another three weeks, and I'm like, this is a traffic ticket. I'm ready to pay whatever fine y'all want to give me. Just give me this little fine, man. Let me pay this fine. I come back in. The, the judge is now saying, well, let me see your paperwork, and why are you, you know, why are you fighting against this? Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, well, you know, I got pulled over. The cop was not a city police officer. This was a police officer from the university. And mm-hmm. I don't think that there's a charter that is stipulated that where a university officer has any jurisdiction over me. Right. You know what I mean? And so he was like, oh, well, you don't have a license. Your license was suspended. I said, well, look, you know, he said, well, you got it suspended. I showed him that I had paid the ticket. I had paid a $350 ticket, paid it to the state of Virginia, but the state of Connecticut still um, uh, suspended my license as though I hadn't paid the ticket. I had to receive Mm -hmm. Everything for him. He looked at the receipt, and he was like, "Oh no, this is." He was like, "No, you just paid this." But then he looked at the date, and he said, "Oh man, you paid this two years ago. This was paid on time." He was like, "You know what? Case dismissed. Right. Let's him up out of here. Case dismissed, man. We don't got time to keep holding him in here. Case dismissed." But at the, but overall, I know that if I would not have came in in that mannerism, mm-hmm. I would have mm-hmm. had to pay off. The, I would. It was enough to top. Well, listen, man. Well, Guilty, give him his fine, get him out of here. But because I, but and and because I knew just to ask those certain things, because you know just to ask them those certain things, and um, it definitely breathes me right on. It breathes me right on through, right on through. You know, I was gonna tell him he was treating me like a slave in there. You know, I was gonna play. I was gonna. I was gonna talk him with battery. I was listen. If you try to just. I'm charging with Barrettree right now, and now we're going to have to send this. We're going to have to send this up. 
Because now I got a charge on you, the judge. We're going to take this to a higher court. Because you're going to just treat me any kind of way. And the judge had all the told me, he said, you don't want to get into no trouble uh, just saying too many things. Don't think you're too smart in here. And I was like, man, later for that, I just ain't going to let you take my rights away. No matter how it's. I just right. wasn't going to let it go down like that because I just was in the fighting type of mode. And I tell people that just fight. Fight mm-hmm. because you can, man. Fight because you can because normally they get scared because they don't know what you know or what you don't know. And they normally right. know that most ignorant people ain't going to fight anyway. Anyway, right. And that's absolutely true. The absolute truth. Uh, what, hold on, Bob. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go down the line to, to our, our next caller. Let our next caller in, and uh, let me let me see here. Let me let me reopen this thing God, properly. Let me get this thing open. But but I just wanted to put that story in. Just hearing you know hearing the brother ask that question, and we're going to go mm-hmm. to the right here, um, brother Little. Like like problem. Right problem, brother Little. You out there? Uh, I've seen our brother out there. All right. Well, we're going to close that line real quick. We're going to go to our brother, uh, Rahe hey, Ru. Brother, Brother Hey Ru. Come on, co host. Brother Hey Ru, your line is open. All right. Well, I know I see our family out there. Let me see, we're going to go to uh, Florida. Florida, welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio with your, Bob, with your brother born, the Bible Automatics. Uh, state your name and come on in with a question or comment. Florida, your line is open. No, Bob, they just, they just listening in. They'd like, they like to hear what you got to say. Let me see, New Jersey. Black Power, welcome to Fear on the Ground Radio with your brother Born and Bible Automatics. State your name and question or comment. Hotep, am I being heard? Yes, sir. You're loud and clear. Yes, uh, Hotep, uh, attorney at war, this brother Lewis from New Jersey, and uh, Hotep to the guest there, I mean the host. Thank uh, you, my, Lewis. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, my uh, question uh, is, if you'll... Uh, whether or not this uh, Del Mar situation where they're trying to say you owe income taxes, could they be trying to relate that to the Jonah Perry case, if you will you know, uh, enlighten the audience about that? And secondly, uh, whether or not you need transportation, because I see in your emails that I receive uh, on the second at the Strayhorn event, uh, I wasn't able to make it to there. However, I see the emergency fund was very nominal, and, uh, you know, I mean, I could show for you there and back uh, if need be. Well, I think you asked, you asked a good question uh, because uh, Jonah Perry uh, was a young man who um, was with his brother, Edmund Perry, and both of them had – gone to prep school uh, in the Northeast, and uh, Jonah had gone on to Cornell University, uh, so he was going into his second year 
his brother, younger brother, Edmund Perry, was on his way to uh, either Yale University or Stanford. Uh, and they were both uh, from Harlem, and, uh, you know, and they uh, had very promising uh, careers. Now, uh, one night, uh, the police uh, killed Edmund Perry and uh, then charged uh, Jonas Perry falsely uh, with the claim that Jonah and Edmund was trying to rob him and that he had to uh, shoot uh, in self-defense. And so they charged uh, Jonah Perry with uh, burglary uh, and robbery, rather, robbery. And so uh, the community was outraged as a result of it, and uh, there were, you know, people who were organizing to fight it. Uh, but it got to a certain point where uh, the uh, community, uh, you know, uh, after a period of time uh, and after you engage in protracted struggle, you know, yeah. sometimes our patients wear thin. That's right. And so, and so uh, at that particular time, uh, uh, C. Vernon Mason, who was representing uh, uh, the Perry brothers, uh, you know, called me and 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 said that uh, it was necessary for somebody else to come in. Uh, Mason claimed that he had a lot of work to do, and the whole bit. But the bottom line was uh, they were getting ready to dump uh, Jonah Perry, and you know, uh, the better half of me said that you know we have a real sorry community when we urge our young people to go to school and to do well, and then when white people falsely accuse them of something, you know, mm -hmm. we all run for the tall grass. That's right. And so to me it was really a matter of racial pride uh, and reputation more than anything else because if that young man had been dumped by the community, the media would have used that against the whole black community. Yes, and they would have said, you see, uh, there's nobody in the black community that's fit uh, to uh, stand up uh, and, de and demand what is right. So uh, in a real sense, uh, I felt compelled to uh, to take the case. Uh, and, uh, and the bottom line was is that uh, in 1985, I had just, uh, in December of 85, I had just been acquitted of beating some court officers. That's they right. They claimed that I, I beat up some, some white court officers in the courtroom. Yes, so sir. They charged me with assault. And so I was uh, in that case, and that case ended in December of uh, 2015. And so Jonah Perry case was slated to start in January of the following year, 2016. And so... Um, I had no other choice, you know, obviously, but to just uh, do a quick study and get ready for a Jonah case after I had just beat my own, and that was that, and that wasn't easy because the judge had really uh, decided that if I had gotten convicted, I was going to prison, then they would have to worry about me no more. Yes, you sir. see, and so uh, since I, uh, you know, uh, instead won the case, pro se. 
and then turned around and got ready for Jonah in January 2016. The trial must have lasted for about two 1986. months. 1986. 1986, right. The yes, trial sir. must have lasted for about two months. And so at the end of the trial, Jonah was acquitted. And that must have been like on a Thursday. You know, and so uh, I was back in the office uh, that Friday and, uh, you know, and, and trying to get ready uh, for some other matters then because, you know, when you take on these trials, you got to turn right around real quick because these judges don't uh, copy you in a slack. That's right. Because their demand is that plead guilty. Now, if you're going to uh, trial these cases, then you're going to be punished. We're not going to give you any breaks at all. So, uh, I knew that I had to make good use of my time because I was going to be ready for another trial the next week. So uh, on that Monday, right after the acquittal, uh, I got a knock at the door. I was in the office. A black woman came to uh, to the door and said, I'm from the IRS. And uh, I said, yeah. And at that particular time, I'll be very frank about it, that didn't frighten me at all, you know, because I had been paying my taxes. You know, so it didn't really mean anything to me until she said, uh, we have a, a provision in the law which says that not only you have to do, do you have to pay your own taxes, but if you are associated with an organization and that organization does not pay its taxes, mm. then you are responsible for the organization's taxes. <laughs> And so she said that since you are the uh uh that since you were the director of the NCBL Juvenile Defense Project, uh you were an officer of the National Council of Black Lawyers and so we, the IRS has chosen you <laughs> to pay all of their bill, which was at that time about twenty five thousand dollars, but it was twenty thousand thousand dollars more than I had. You know what I mean? Same I mean, thing I, that they're trying to say with all due respect, same thing that they're trying to say that's owed now another right, twenty five thousand right, dollars. Right, right, yeah. So and you know, obviously I didn't have twenty five thousand dollars. I definitely didn't have it there. But you know, the reality of it, brother, I, I looked at that and I said, Man, the woman gave me the Friday. That was yes, like sir. a Monday. She said, if that money is not in our office by Friday, and she was a, a real, I, I hate to use the word, but the woman was a real sapphire. You know what I mean? Exactly. All right, she said, if that money is not in that IRS office by Friday, we're going to shut this place down. You ain't going to never practice law again nowhere. So I'm saying to myself, I said, man, you know what? I said, you know, I haven't really ever made any money. I said, but, you know, I'm really the best thing that a lot of black people ever, ever had. Yes, you are. You know? Uh, in terms of uh, protecting them and their rights. So I went around, and uh, fortunately, Una Mozak, who owned a liberation bookstore in Harlem. Yes, sir. That was a very uh, historic bookstore. Uh, I went to Una, and I said, Una, I need to borrow $25,000. And I said, uh, you know, obviously, I ain't going to lie to you. I don't have the money right now, but I need time to get it. And I said, if you loan me the money, I'll pay you back every dime. Yes, sir. And so she loaned me the money. And on that Friday, I went to the IRS office and, and plumped down $25,000. <laughs> and that was a new lease on life. Yes, sir. But this is the point that I want to make. You see, uh, uh, the prosecutor 
was Robert Morgenthau. Yes. I want everybody to remember that. That's right. And Robert Morgenthau is the sheriff of Wall Street. That's right. All right. He come from a long line of of Jewish rich families. Okay. He's one of the one of the aristocrats. You know, some Jews out here sort of faking. You know. Yeah. Uh, but he one of those Jews that really came from a family that had money. And his daddy was the treasurer uh, under the um, FDR. Yeah. So, you know, he was well-connected, you know, uh, with uh, America and, and, and his money and so and Wall Street and, right. and Robert Morgenthau himself. So Morgenthau did not want to win that case. I mean, did not want to lose that case. Exactly. And you see, a lot of people are very uh, naive. When they slap your name on an indictment, they don't intend to lose. You no. know, somehow people think that, you know, just just have its way and whatever happens is happens and white people are concerned. They are very concerned because they're not going to slap your name on an indictment unless they are concerned. And when they slap your name on an indictment, they are serious about taking you out of operations. That's right. You know, and so we don't really realize the kind of danger that you have to go through out here to represent our people. But, you know, it's like black people think, well, you know, hey, you ought to be glad to represent me. I'm not glad to represent <laughs> you. You know what I mean? Are you crazy? I'm not glad to represent y'all. But, you know, because all you pose a threat. But we, right. don't, we, we are not sophisticated enough to understand that. And so uh, what happened is, is that I paid the money back. Yeah. Uh and you know, and 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 they, and they came up with a rule that said that since I was in the National Conference of Black Lawyers, not that I headed the National Conference of Black Lawyers, because mm. I wasn't the head of the organization, I wasn't the second in command or the third in command, but since I was associated with the organization, the IRS can pick anybody. <laughs> and and the woman told me that the reason why we chose you is because you don't don't know how to keep your big mouth big. shut. Yes, sir. Those are exact words she said. You don't know how to keep your big mouth shut. And uh, when they're trying to go after black people, you ought to be quiet. Mm. You know, and not try to interfere with white folks' business. I mean, this this one was a real sapphire. Uh, but you know that that's that, that's what happens out here. You know, when you stand up for our people, our pe- own people don't even understand it. We're we're like children who just think that it's just a play toy. Yes, you know, sir. it's not a play toy. We can't get serious, and that's the reason why, uh, as you said, uh, that night it was about 100 people there, uh, but only one person pulled out a $50 bill, yes, you sir. know, at, at UAM, and to uh, say, you know, you're going to maybe need some gas money or something else, you know. Yes, sir. And there, nobody else said a word. I mean, so that shows you uh, the situation, and then a half of the people didn't show up at all. And they didn't show up because they were protesting uh, because they want somebody else to be the spokesperson for the organization. And uh, my point is, as I said with Malik, uh, if this person wants to be a spokesperson, then white folks will tell us that the person is a spokesperson. Because, you see, when you decide to be a leader for black people, Nick, we're going to be visiting you downtown at the county jail. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Or Rackers Island somewhere. That's right. Because that's what, hap- that's what happens to black people who want to be leaders yes. or want to be spokespersons. So, you know, it's very childish for us to be trying to split an organization over the question of uh, who's going to speak for the organization when white folks ain't after none of them. That's right. All the people that they, they, they talk about ought to be leaders, white folks ain't even thinking about them. 
I mean, that ought to give you the first clue that you ain't got no business dealing with either one because they ain't even relevant. Yes, You know, sir. but our people cannot think, unfortunately, and we just caught up over our heads and don't understand what all of this is about. Uh, but as I said before, uh, it's no clear, it's no question. Look, for 30 years I haven't, I didn't have, I haven't had income. I was suspended from the practice law in 1990. Yes, 2015, right. 25 years, okay? That's right. I've had no income. Nobody would give me a job. Nobody would think about nothing. And I don't get. I don't have a salary at UAM. I'm That's doing right. that voluntary. You know what I mean? Pro bono. I'm writing yes, all sir. these articles. Uh, I'm paying for them myself. You know, Negro look at these articles and stuff. They're professionally typed. They're That's professionally right. edited and all that. Well, that costs money. But that nobody at UAM uh, would give you a dime. And so that's yeah. the reason why, you know, when I went over there uh, Wednesday night, you know, one person gave me $50. That was it. Uh, but, that, but, but you know, that doesn't disturb me because I, I, I know we're not ready for prime time. You know, uh, the thing that bothered me for some Negro to get mad at me for saying that you're not ready for prime time, that's you know, <laughs> and the mere fact that I could go to an organization I had and only get one person come up with a fifty dollar bill, show you ain't none of y'all ready for prime time. That's proof. All right, that's proof right there. So, you know, let's not talk about nothing else. You've already shown your hand. And yes. uh, and, and your hand doesn't look good. You know, and you're not ready to in no way to be trying to talk about you gonna head an organization or you gonna be the spokesperson for an organization when you can't come up with fifty dollars out of a uh, hundred something people yes. uh that were there that night to pay for somebody gas. But, you know, the point of it is, I'll be all right. You know, I'm, I'm, I would be up there on, on Tuesday night, on Tuesday, and, I, I, and I, I tell people, look, the one thing that I want black people to do for for me is on yes, Monday sir. make a serious statement for reparations at the Labor Day Parade. Okay, yes, that's sir. all I want. Make a serious statement because, you see, this whole thing about, immigration and migrant workers and all of that, that stuff is real. And you see, at some point, they're going to tell us, we got to bring all these migrants in here. And our point is, how you can't even pay us yet? How you how are you going to bring some migrant workers in here and you ain't even paid us? Yes, sir. We are creditors. That's right. Are you all us that? So you, 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 you ain't got no right to be talking about who you're going to bring into the country. You know, I want to bring my brother in here. He's from wherever. Well, your brother got to stand in line and wait. Yes, sir. Until we get paid. Then he can come in here. After we get paid. We don't care who come here after we get paid. But you just can't be letting white folks tell you who you going to come into this country and, and they owe you money. That's crazy. And that's yes, where we are. That's where we are. So this whole thing about migrants and immigrants and all that, that is real. Hey, but you can't afford to bring none of those folks in here until you pay us. Yes, that's right. That's right. And uh, one other uh, a question, uh, the attorney at war, I kind of asked this uh, uh, on, on the show last Monday. I don't want to name okay. the brother's show you was on. But All right. for people who are going to or live in the Delaware, I mean, uh, D.C., Maryland mm-hmm. and Virginia area, if they want to participate in Brother Browder's uh, function, right. okay. they can get tickets from you, or how uh, do they yeah, go well, about that? What, what, what they should do 
is called the Freedom Party. Yes, sir. At 917-947-8994. That's okay. 917-947-8994. Uh, because that's going to be a great event. The whole weekend is going to be great. Uh, there, there's a lot of history there. Uh, it's a lot about our people that they're going to learn, but and also, more importantly, uh, this is going to be the kickoff for the National Black Political Convention, which we believe is going to be held at the University District of Columbia on October 3rd. Yes, sir. Shimmy uh, Motep, uh, Brother okay, Alton. Brother. All right, thank you very much for the call. Yes, sir. Yeah, thank you again, too, Brother Ma Hotel. All right, we're going to um, go on down the line. Uh, Maryland, right now, Maryland, the line is open. Um, welcome to Field Ground Radio. Question to comment for Bobo Automatics. State your name. Your line is open. Okay. All right. No Maryland. Let's go. Uh, New York City, your line is open. Welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio. Revival Automatic. State your name and question the comment. Black Power. Black Power. Black Power. Dr. Linda from New York. Greetings, Chairman Automatics. Greetings to the Thank host. You. Thank you. I really enjoyed the program. I have I appreciate uh, Chairman Automatics and all the work he's doing in our community. And uh, I have a question concerning um, Dr. Lenora Falani. Mm-hmm. I understand uh, that she's one of the first women to achieve ballot um, status in all 50 states. And uh, she's planning on... Uh, she did she did a lot of work when she ran for president in nineteen eighty eight and I think that she would be um very helpful to the chairman and the the freedom party uh, if we could get her support i okay. um you want, you want me to come in go ahead yes sir okay. Uh, I know Lenora uh, for a long time, uh, and the one thing that we have to understand, like everybody else, uh, we have a right to our own philosophies. You know, and the mere fact that I have one philosophy and somebody else has another philosophy does not make us enemies on that level. You know, I mean, because we have that right. I mean, it may come to a point where we become enemies because our beliefs may interfere uh, with what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, But I just want to make it very clear that uh, Lenora and I have different philosophical beliefs, and those philosophical beliefs are evidenced in the parties that we are associated with. Now, Lenora is associated with the New Alliance Party, and she has a right to to be associated with that party, uh, and uh, I'm associated with the Freedom Party, and I have a right to be associated with that party. 
Now, before there was a Freedom Party in 1994, there was a United African Party in 1990. And Joseph Mack, who really was the architect of the United African Movement, actually uh, started that particular party. And uh, he gathered the signatures, as he had a right to do, and um, he uh, went went on to try to get ballot status. That was 1990. Now, in the meantime, uh, Dr. Fulani uh, chose to challenge Joe Mack's ballot, as he had a right to do. You know, because we know we, you know, we, you, this cannot be equivalent to being an enemy because you're exercising a statutory right. You know, so. He had, she had a right to challenge his uh, signatures, and she did. And at the end of the day, um, she was successful. Now, the reality of it is, as I said before, Lenore and I, you know, have a conversation, uh, but I don't believe that Lenora would be comfortable in terms of my politics and her politics. And so for that reason, uh, she definitely is a person who understands the political process. You know, but I can't uh, penalize her because she doesn't want to be on the bandwagon that I'm on because the bandwagon that I'm on is a little bit different than what Lenora chooses to be a part of. And so as a result of that... uh, it would just be very difficult uh, for Dr. Fulani and I to hook up. But I, as I said before, I know Dr. Fulani very well. And uh, back in uh, 19, um, uh, 1990, uh, when uh, Reverend Sharpton was indicted for 67 counts uh, in uh, Manhattan, uh, it was Dr. Fulani and her organization uh, that played a very critical part in raising the money to get the transcripts on a daily basis. And so those transcripts were very helpful in my defense of Sharpton. And now, you know, again, uh, Sharpton and I are in no way friends today, uh, but we're talking about history now, and that's what happened then. And as a result of that, you know, he got acquitted. I don't think he would have been acquitted if I had not stepped forward and defended him. I'm absolutely certain he wouldn't. And he didn't think he was going to be acquitted either, because otherwise he would never ask me to represent him, you know, if he believed it was something else. So, you know, and, and Dr. Fulani were very helpful, and Dr. Fulani and Shopton are very close today. But I don't think that Dr. Fulani would be willing to use her expertise uh, to further the political aspirations of black people. Well, uh, Mr. Chairman, um, mm-hmm. I uh, I understand. I hear what you're saying, but I um, I think I don't know if she really has the right to withhold any of her her expertise because, in other words, she what she did, what she achieved in all fifty states is a, a tactic, like a war tactic. Absolutely. And it doesn't really belong to her, you know, mm-hmm. it's, as, 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 a, 
as our attorney at war and as a um as our chairman you I'm sure you analyze the uh tactics of your uh of, of other generals, you know, and other uh fine warriors. And I just think that, you know, her tactics might uh No, she's help. she's a great general. She's a great general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's, I mean, you know, that that much we can agree on. She's a great general. She understands uh, politics. You know, she knows how to make it work. She know, how, as you said before, she knows how to put herself on fifty of balance and all of that. I agree. But you know, I I and I and I say this because I don't necessarily, you know, want to become too personal in my conversation about Lenora. Mm-hmm. But I just believe that Lenora would not be comfortable. Okay, sitting down and trying to impart to the Freedom Party what those uh, positions are, and the reason why I say that is because you know Fulani was uh, you know had an opportunity back in 1990 you know to to go after or not go after Joe Mack, and she chose to go after him uh, mm-hmm. in 1994. Uh, she didn't have she didn't have to go after the Freedom Party. Because Rudolph Giuliani and the Liberal Party went after us, as they had a right to do, you know. Uh, and that's the reason why, you know, it's very important for you to have lawyers as well, you know, when you're talking about political parties. And that's one of the shortcomings, you know, that we have with the Freedom Party, is that you don't have those lawyers. You know, you need the Malcolm X types when you really want to represent uh, black people in a Freedom Party, you know, something that aspires to meet the aspirations of people like Fannie Lou Hamer uh, and Rosa Parks and Megan Evans and others. But, you know, as I said before, I give her all the due that anybody could give anybody. And as I said before, she was extremely helpful in raising money for us, and I'm sure Reverend Sharpton is extremely uh, thankful uh, for her raising that kind of money for those transcripts. And and, and the proof is in the pudding that she has been able to, to get on the ballot in every state in the union, which is no small feat. Well, Reverend Sharpton should be thankful to both of you because both of you went above and beyond the call of duty to free him because they really intended to put him under the jail. And uh, I think that was commendable because everybody... um, put their personal feelings aside and did what was necessary for the community, you know, and um, I'm hoping that people will continue to do that. Uh, Thank you for your answer. But one second question. I I didn't know. I heard something the other day. This woman came out with a book, Mm -hmm. and the name of the book is The Sacrifice. Okay. And I really would like for you to... I'm sorry, I'll have to get you some more information on her uh, name. Okay. But she came on the Brian Lear show, and it was about uh, the sacrifice was this guy, Pagonis, that was killed mm-hmm. in the Tawana Brawley. Yeah. And um, she took Tawana Brawley's story and turned it into what she calls fiction, you yeah. know, but she might be closer to the truth than she thinks. Okay. And uh, I would like for you to, um, I'm going to get you some more information so you could uh, well, look at that book. Well, please do, you know, because yes. 
you know, if you know, I, I may not be there this coming Wednesday night, but mm-hmm. you know, definitely try to uh, to let Leola know or somebody know who the author is, and I'll jump right on it. But she also said something on the radio that I was, I wasn't, you know, it concerned me. She said that Tawana Brawley came on the radio or TV and said that she lied. Is that? Is that could could that be? Well, I, 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 well, well, let's put it like this. I have never heard anybody say that Tawana Brawley has been on a television mm-hmm. station to say that you know she lied. And you know the other thing that's very important here is this. You see, when this incident happened uh, in November of 1987. Um, what I did ask of the community is that it provide the support for me to get involved in that case because, you know, when you start talking about what white men to do to black women, that's a whole different kind of case, all right? You know, it's you know, it's two kind of cases that you can really get lynched over, and history has proven this. Uh, you can get lynched over standing up for a black woman or you can get lynched for cross-examining a white woman, you know, about an incident. I mean, those two things you really can get in trouble over, and there are cases that I can cite to anybody to show that those two things are very dangerous. Uh, you know, and of course, I've done both, uh, went after uh, white women on the witness stand, and I've also, uh, you know, obviously stood up for black women who have been raped, and then I've had to go to court myself and prove my own innocence. And that's what happened in Pagona's case. I mean, if people want to really uh, to really not understand things, they can go over to the Freedom Party because I have the jury sheets over there, you know, where the jury came back and said he was one of the attackers. I mean, you can't get no more clearer than that, and that's in, in, in the court records. And, and those copies are right there, so, you know, Anytime the Freedom Party is open, and it should be open every day, uh, people can go in there and see that. I mean, we actually won that case hands down. And we also proved that Harry Chris had been murdered. He did not kill himself. And I'm waiting on an opportunity for them to bring me before a grand jury for me to point out who exactly murdered Harry Chris. You know, and see, that's part of the problem that New York has is that, I won't back down, and I've told people all along that I would rather be on the corner selling hot dogs, okay, rather than to uh, back down to to wanna uh, on to Warner Brothers' position, uh, because I I think that we have a responsibility as black men uh, to stand up for black women at all costs, you know, in the same way that white men will stand up for their women at all costs. Uh, because, you know, when a white man is dealing with a situation where a black man has been accused of raping a white woman, that case would have been resolved several years ago. You know, it wouldn't be even be a question that, I mean, the, the Negro would still be hanging from the pine tree, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if, if that was the case. But I'm not one of those who believe that that I have a right under any circumstances to turn on to Warner Brawley and to Warren Broad has never given me any reason to believe that 
Stephen McGonagall did uh, exactly everything uh, that she said he did and others said he did. And, you know, as I said before, he's a rapist. Uh, I'm saying it now. Uh, I will say it at any time because I believe that when a white man rapes a black woman, uh, I'm not going to hide behind the word alleged. You know, I, well, he he alleged it. So if you tell me a white man raped you, I'm going to say you, he raped you, and then I'm going to be willing to go into court and defend any defamation charge that is being lodged against me. That's just how I feel. So that's the reason why, you know, white people know don't knock on my door because I will call you out for exactly who you are and will go into court and prove it in a court of law. And I've been involved in several defamation cases, and I've never lost one yet. And I have no intention of losing one ever. Well, I certainly thank you, Chairman, because I have uh, watched you and listened to you for years, and I appreciate your excellence, and I appreciate your high standards, your ethics, and uh, that's why they want to silence you, because there's no one like you. And uh, the community should really support you 150% because that's what you give. And I hope that you could come raise yourself up a little higher and get some more exposure because there are people that have money that need to support you. You should be uh, well supported for the stand and the sacrifice that you have made to our community. And I hope that you really bring the Freedom Party to another level, a national level, where you can get people that will really bring money to support you in the way you should be supported. Well, I really appreciate all of that. And until the the last breath in my my body, I intend to do exactly all of what you said. And I really thank you very much. I thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, sister. Bob Max, I got a question real quick. You know, I know I know that the time is um, winding down, but okay. uh, there was a question about the black uh, black political convention. Have, mm-hmm. have you heard of a black political convention, or what? Or what do you know of the black political convention of 1972 that was held in Gary, Indiana? Well, I did not attend the convention myself uh, because I was in law school at the time. But I certainly heard a lot of it from other people who were there, you know, who was giving me a first-hand account, you know, of of what it was about. I think there was a lot of lessons that we learned, uh, but I think we had to build on those lessons, you know. I think it apparently was a tremendous success. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that we have to do is have follow-through, you know, and we mm-hmm. have to keep it going. And I don't mm-hmm. think that necessarily was achieved. But I think that the fact that we assembled and that we uh, began to discuss our issues uh, was something that was uh, miraculous, especially when you consider that it's been many years since black people had really held a convention. I mean, as I started this conversation by saying, uh, in the 1830s, uh, the color uh, convention movement uh, was initiated. And, uh, you know, and, and we actually held conventions, political conventions, that is, uh, before the Democratic Party. And it was the Democrats and Republicans who learned from us the need to have a convention. They didn't, they, they, they didn't have not developed a convention uh, uh, format. And as a matter of fact, the idea of political parties is not even in the Constitution anywhere. 
Uh, so you can't find the Democratic Party or the Democratic or the Republican Party in the Constitution because they're not there. So there was a lot of things that white people had to learn themselves. And so, you know, it was our ancestors uh, who taught them. And that was the reason why uh, uh, Chief Justice Roger Taney uh, said uh, that we have to war on these free Negroes because they're getting out of their place. And, uh, and and that's exactly what happened. So when you understand what Dred Scott really meant, then you you understand that Chief Justice Roger Taney knew uh, that our uh, uh, people had brought too much from ancient Egypt uh, in their own wisdom uh, not to be dealt with. And that's why we've been warred on ever since, because it's in our DNA uh, to to master our own destiny. And at some point we will. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, we got a few more callers, and, you know, if you've got the time, I'll go to these callers real quick and call okay. them and let them get in one question real fast. And we're going to go down the line. Um, we got a caller from Texas. Texas, your line is open. You're on the line, feel on the ground with Bible Automatics. I'll state your name and one question, please, or comment. All right. All right, we got another New York. New York, your line is open. Welcome to Field on the Ground Radio with Bob Automatic. State your name and question or comment. New York, your line going once, going twice. All right. We got another New York caller. Your line is open. Welcome to Field on the Ground Radio with Bob Automatic. Question or comment and state your name. Why do some people think they know more than you? Uh-huh. Although your line is open, state your name and question and comment to Bob Automatic. Are well, you talking to somebody else? Black Power, welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio. Um, Brother Born and Bob Automatic, question and comment. New York, your line is open. State your name and question and comment. Hello, can you? Yeah, I can hear you. We you mute in and out. New York, uh, man, he hung up his own phone. He said, "Can you hear me?" And hung up. He might stop that up. I think he was trying. Think he hung up by accident. Um, all right, we got another Texas. Texas, your line is open. I think there was a family from earlier. Let me see. Uh, we're going to New Jersey. New Jersey, welcome to Funeral Ground Radio with Bob Automatics. Um, state your name and question the comments. Well, all right. We're going, we're going to wrap it up and we'll get back to my co-host and see if he got a question or comment. But uh, right now we have Sister McKee. I see you out there. Uh, you got a question or comment for Bible Automatics before we head out? All right. Brother Rahi Wu. Let's see. Oh, I see the brother listening in. 
And uh, well, but now it's, that's that's all the uh, call is okay, on. Well, that's great. Well, I've had a great time, and I really enjoyed it. And I hope everybody uh, have enjoyed uh, me as much as I've enjoyed them. And I want to thank everybody uh, in the pro- affiliated with the program to thank you very much for the invitation and. And I'm certain that we will be meeting again very soon. Yes, yes, sir. And uh, Bible Maddox, though, before you let's go, if there's anywhere that people can send any donations or anything of that nature, um, to help out with any funding, is there is there a uh, a PayPal or a PO box or some type of information well, that you can give out to the people? Well, what I, what I really do, you know, I write virtually every day, and what I write uh, really is trying to help our people uh, in terms of their political education, as I uh, promised uh, Brother Kwame Ture, also known as Stoker Carmichael, that I would do. And I uh, also really uh, spent a lot of time writing in terms of legalese and uh, military science. And the, the website uh, that people can visit, and you know, you'll find out so many different writings that are there. Uh, it's called www.reinstatealtonmatics.com. www.reinstatealtonmatics.com. And for people, uh, you know, who really want to help that effort, because you know, our big problem one is. Re-education, you know. I mean, we 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 brought the world education, and we got caught up, you know, in slavery. Uh, and now there's need for re-education. Uh, Thurgood Marshall said that we need equal education. Uh, I say that we need a different education. So the rally cry should not be for us to be equal to white people. The rallying cry for us should be for us to be different and to receive a different education. And so in that sense, I ask people to really support that effort uh, because now uh, there's no way in the world that you can uh, really uh, maintain the type of of writing that we do uh, without spending at least $2,500 a month. That's just basic. And uh, and clearly from all the articles that we write that we are doing exactly that. And it's something that I hope that at some point that our people will recognize the need to develop in terms of a national journal. You know, we need a national black journal, which is different than a national tabloid. It is different than a black newspaper. We need a black journal. And so uh, I hope that after uh, a certain period of time that we can begin to sustain that because Information is key, and it is also power. And for those who want to help uh, in that effort, and as I said before, you go to the website, www.realestateautomatics.com, and you can see all of the work that is being put in there every week and every day. Uh, Your contribution can be sent to Friends of Automatics, Friends of Automatics, P.O. Box 35, P.O. Box 35, Bronx, New York, Bronx, New York, 10471, 
but because he had punched his lawyer, the mm-hmm. judge gave him uh, some more time. But what happened was he was never charged with punching the lawyer. The lawyer didn't want to charge him. So there was no mm. paperwork on it okay. because the, the reason why he punched the lawyer was because the lawyer was, he wasn't doing them right. You know, right. but the lawyer didn't want that to come out in court. Why the guy jumped on him? So just because the judge knew, the judge just automatically just gave him the every 30, extra 36 months but did not write inside, you know, did not write down the reasoning mm-hmm. behind it. There was right. no reason for it. So he appealed on that right there. And so he's working, he, you know, he's working trying to clear his name. But I'm going to send that information to you. Okay, and, I'll be very happy to look at it. Right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But with that being said, you know, for everybody um, who on feet on the ground, we thank you very much. Anytime you want to come in, any Sunday, definitely we'll always have a Sunday open every Sunday uh, that you want to come in and, and you have anything that you want to say. Uh, it's, it's open. You know. well, I really appreciate it very much, and I thank you for for that. And I think that, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that is going on in our community today is censorship. Uh, a lot of people seem not to be aware of it, uh, seem not to be informed uh, uh, that, you know, one of the reasons why Mega Evers was killed in Mississippi was because of censorship. And uh, certainly the work that uh, you are doing, is certainly to break those uh, uh, those restrictions uh, that on and those chains, psychological chains on our mind, because that's what censorship is. It enables the enemy to dumb us down. And programs like this uh, take a whole different view, and it should be considered a very courageous act. Well, coming from you, we, uh, uh, I feel honored. I feel honored, you know. Because, you know, we, we've seen you with courage under fire. We're just striving to, you know, get on your shoulders and, and move this thing even further. Well, you're doing it just bad, and I really enjoyed it tonight. All right, well, thank you again, and thank everybody else out there on the line. We're going to go out like we come in. That's praises to the ancestors, and that's praise Nat Turner, glory to Garvey, along with the spirit of God, the Khalid Abdul Muhammad, praise Harriet Tubman, Glory to Ida B. Wells and Long Little Spirit of Sister Fanny Lou Hamer. Tribute for Hodier. Black Power. Black Power. Thank you. Thank you. Out with the old and in with the new. Start your new year with Yahoo Small Business with everything you need to start and grow your business. Find a domain, get a business email, and create a new professional website. Have a business idea and don't know where to start? Visit www.yahoosmallbusiness.com.